You have to eat the dream. You have to sleep the dream. You have to dream the dream. You gotta touch, you have to see it when nobody else sees it. You have to feel it when it's not tangible. You have to believe it when you cannot see it. You gotta be possessed with the dream. What's up, guys, and welcome to Straight from the Chess Podcast. My name is Justin Groth, and I'm your host on this personal development and growth podcast. Listen, if you're new to the show, I just want to welcome you. I want to thank you for being here. And if this is your second, 50th, or 150th time tuning back in, thank you for your continued listenership support of the podcast. It means a lot to me. Listen, uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube, please do so, Straight from the Chess. If you haven't yet subscribed to the uh, Apple or Spotify please do so as well. Uh, we're anywhere that there's podcasts, we are there. And so again, please show your love and, and continue support of the podcast by doing so. And ex- and as well as extend it to somebody who you feel will value from it. Uh, link it to your Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just get this motherfucker out there. That's all I ask. That's the only thing I ask in return from you. And I appreciate it very much. So thank you in advance. So without further ado, I brought on a real good friend of mine, Lisa. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Justin. So great to see you. <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been some time. It's it been has. a lot of time, and uh, my phone keeps vibrating. It's pissing me off already. <laughs> so, um, so, what's been up? Just tell me. Talk to me. Oh boy, what's been up? It's been a hell of a time the last few years. I know for everybody with the pandemic. Um, as a person who is immunocompromised. It's been especially challenging because um, I've had a lot of fear and worry about, you know, getting sick and all those kind of things. And a lot of things have changed in my life as a result of the whole move to work from home, um, health issues, lots of stuff has been going on. And so it's been a really challenging time, but it's also surprisingly, although on the outside, it's probably the most chaotic my life has ever felt in that um, I'm certainly not living what I thought I'd be living at this time in my life. Um, I also have the most peace I've ever had. And that says a lot about um, what personal growth is all about. And that's why I believe in what you do. You've always been that way. And that's how I connected with you to begin with. I appreciate that. We met how many years ago? Almost four. I, I think so. You're right. I don't know. Somewhere three, want, four years. Yeah, four. I want to say be four. More than that. I think Maybe I, even five. Yeah, I don't know. It's four or five. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> okay, just want to make sure that kept recording. I didn't. There, there. I have nightmares about this shit where just my re, my recording just stops, and I'm and like, and like, I lose fucking everything. So, anyways, has it ever I was, happened? Once. Okay. And so that's the reason why I have that tick. I'll okay. look back and I, and uh, so for people that aren't viewing this and they're they're listening, um, that's what sometimes I'll I'll end up doing. I'll end up turning my head to see to make sure that the file is still recording because in the event that we lose anything, especially shit you're gonna say, that would be uh, a travesty. So well, and I gotta tell you, if there's a possibility something weird could go wrong. I'm here, so it could happen. <laughs> so definitely keep checking. <laughs> I'm sure we're good. So, okay. So we met, I don't know, 10 million years ago. <laughs> and uh, you called in to to obviously uh, enlist in some personal training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously in my job, 
it's personal first before it's training. And I've always believed in that. And I always continue to believe in that. That's what I will push. That's the rhetoric that I will push to anybody that wants to be a trainer, etc. If you don't have the personal side down, you're not going to retain anybody. It doesn't matter what kind of credentials you have, etc., etc. We won't, that's a different podcast. We won't talk about that. However, when you came, there was an immediate connection between you and I, but the I do remember this though, when, you know, one thing is very present with you, you're a strong presence. You can be intimidating to a lot of folks and folks, people. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, the thing is, is that that is definitely, I was aware of that in the, in the forefront by interfacing with you. That's something that I picked up, but the thing The thing about you was that, and this is the thing I've always admired about you, is that you're so well-spoken and you have this laundry list vocabulary. And the thing that most people would be intimidated by, I was, I was, I admired about you. And thank you. And maybe perhaps because I wasn't trying to date you, (laughs) but, but nonetheless, it was like, you just... You just emit, and I've told you this multiple times, you emit this aura of badassery and it's very, a, it's very atypical with lawyers and that's obviously what you do, what you were, you know, in part doing it or immersed in the time, but it, it fits your identity like to a T. The one thing that I did see about you though as well was that you didn't believe it to the point that I was convinced. Like I was convinced that this is your personality. This is what you're good at. You're very good at this. Why don't you do more of that? And I've told a lot of people that about, you know, what whatever is particular with them. And the same goes for you. I never really understood why you didn't go full-fledged into that. I understand a little bit more now. Um, but... And that's just me wanting you to do what I think you're good at. But that doesn't mean shit at the end of the day. It's all about you and how you want to navigate your life. And I I understand it completely. I just was like, fuck, she's so good at arguing. (laughs) She's so good at, and, and, you know, but you weren't good like in a, I'm going to defeat you way. You were good in a tactful sense. And that's hard to do is be good at arguing in a tactful manner. Or rather keep your composure, et cetera. So, but I always saw that. In, and then obviously to boot, when you were training, you just, you just unleashed a lot of willpower and discipline with your training. I mean, you would come to sessions early in the morning and I knew you didn't want to be there, not because you just said it, but your body language was, would speak it. And obviously a part of being a trainer is being able to read body language and read mannerisms, et cetera, before you even walk through the door. I'm reading that when you exit your car. Mm-hmm. And so when there are multiple mornings where I know you didn't want to go, but you still came and you didn't just come and put in the work you like put in the fucking work. So I admired you and respected you even more on that, on that principle as well. We obviously departed right? You had some things come or not COVID came up really. Mm-hmm. And then you had to take a leave or I took a leave. I, there was like three month break. I forgot really why we separated. It might've been both, but like you had yeah. some things going on mm-hmm. and COVID happened simultaneously. And then P 
people you're witnessing a conversation that really is for the first time taking place in like what three years i don't know three years when you came to the studio we didn't talk much and i i I, we it's a good thing because we wanted to save the shit for the mic yeah that's the best thing is when we get organic convo that people are hearing in real time for the first time and um, I mean, we obviously said hi and shit, we, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but at the same time, there wasn't a lot of dispensary, you know, in terms of uh, the conversation. And that's a good thing because now we're going to let it all out and we're going to hear a lot about you. And obviously you can ask me whatever you want as well. I'm an open book. Um, however, saying that to a lawyer, whatever, let's do it. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll do it in the most tactful way possible, yes. just like you said. <laughs> but um, I, I shared a, a brief moment on my Instagram stories about who I had coming on. I didn't want them to know, so I didn't tag you in it, but I did mention that there is a amazing story to you. And that's really what this podcast is centered around is people's stories, what they've been through, not necessarily where they are currently. Cause I don't really care as much about that. I care about what you've been through and what you've essentially circumvented out of. So where do you want to start? Boy, um, there are so many places they could be. I'm like, well, how much time do you have? We could start back when I was in seventh grade. Just kidding. Um, I don't know. I mean, so much of kind of what has happened over the last eight years or so um, has a backstory as well as to how I got there and how I got involved in. Um, so maybe, I don't know, like generally speaking, I'm not sure like the way you like to do it, but I could kind of share a little bit of how I ended up coming to you, um, which is actually a potentially a very long story. So I don't want to monopolize too much time. Um, We have a lot of time. time, This is long form convo. Okay. So you start wherever you want. Well, you know, just to kind of give you first, I just want to say thank you for what you said. That means a lot to me. I've always respected you and um, and I definitely felt connected to you right when I met you and you know funny enough um just because he mentioned he was he liked me and it probably was because he wasn't trying to date me I I moved back to the area after a prolonged period of very challenging professional life and personal life um and after taking I'm sure we'll get into it but a really big leap and leaving a law firm that I was on partnership track um because it did not align with my values and um it made me feel like i was losing my soul point one you know increments at a time because i was at a billable hour law firm and um and when i came here i was really really broken um and when i started to decide i wanted to get back into fitness because sports athletics have been in my life since i was a kid um i literally how i found you was on yelp Um, I looked for a personal trainer. You had these great reviews. I looked at your Instagram and I was like, I could look at that every week. (laughs) And so literally, I mean, I'm that whatever. I was just like, give it a shot. We'll see. I'll give this guy a call. That's a, I didn't look at anybody else. And it was so good for you for posting good pictures. It brings in some clientele and then evolves into a great friendship, which is, which is lovely, but good for you on that. Um, but I, so I came in and I really, you know, I didn't have a ton of expectations. I just wanted some accountability to get back into a regular fitness program. I was also going through like a massive overhaul of my diet. I was going into an autoimmune protocol diet because I have autoimmune disease and, um, 
you know, just lots and lots of changes. And I came in and you didn't make me feel uncomfortable. You know, you didn't make me feel nervous. You, I, I just could tell it was the right fit right from the start. And the reason I think that we parted ways was because I had started doing Muay Thai kickboxing for a while and I had to start picking and choosing like where I was spending my money. Mm. And, um, and I knew that a lot of the things that we did at the time, I also belonged to a gym and a yoga studio and I was teaching That's spin. Right, yeah. And so I, I had to kind of make some adjustments and, um, and I'll tell you, but there was never anything I've missed more in all the things I've done in fitness than our sessions. Aww. And so, um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey with us, but to get to that point, um, where I was starting from scratch, essentially, um, there's a lot of backstory there. Um, so what's, what's the best way you want me to just, however you want. I just don't want to be one of those people who just goes on a like huge long diatribe and it's basically like a monologue, you know, <laughs> I understand. Um, okay. So let's start from the loss of your husband. Okay. That's a fair place to start. That's a big part of the story. Um, so when I was, um, gosh, well the, the quick summary is when I was 15, um, I wasn't, when I was in high school, like most kids, I started experimenting with alcohol and drugs and, um, much like the way you described the way I approached training is the way I approach everything I do in my life. It's like, I'm, I'm all in and it's like, this is what life is about. And I was, I was a really insecure kid, even though I was extremely talented athletically, I had a lot of friends. Um, but I always felt like something was really different about me and I always felt uncomfortable. And so when I discovered alcohol and drugs, um, you know, it was like the, the one time that I could take a deep breath, right. Where I was not thinking about what everybody was thinking of me. And I just kind of, you know, do you have like a bleep? Is it okay if I curse? Curse all You're you Justin. want. You're Justin. Of course I can curse. All you what want. am I talking yeah. about? Like I just, it was the only time I didn't give a shit if anybody was, you know, what anybody thought. And so it was kind of the, the only time I, like I said, I felt like I could t take a deep breath and that like everything I do got progressively uh, more and more significant. You know, I went to college, started drinking, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And you know, just more and more and more. And, but I had come to college and I had come to college on an athletic scholarship. I went to Cal Poly, um, for swimming and within a month, um, I decided at the time I thought that I made this decision on my own because I just didn't want to be tied down to the sport. I didn't realize it was kind of the first thing that alcohol took from me, um, because I no longer wanted to do the work. I wanted to party and I couldn't do both to the caliber I wanted to do them at the same time. Um, so I went into like years of progressively worsening um, alcoholism, which is funny because when I was a freshman in college, you know, did you ever have like a pre, oh, you, you're not a drinker, but did you ever like a pre-party pump up song? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. So like my pump up song when I was a freshman in the don't dorms. Let me, don't let me guess. Do it. I don't know. It's Eminem. Is it Eminem? No, but it should be. Okay, because you were be, all about Eminem. You know when we that were I can rap every single work. My my maiden name is Tapper, and my nickname in high school might have been Rapper Tapper. <laughs> might have been. 
every if, if you want to see it it's on my instagram i have regrettably posted entire eminem songs of me yeah eminem, eminem is the shit yeah. eminem <laughs> is the best freestyle lyricist i've ever heard yeah ever like he could just go in and swamp people amazing like rap god best song yeah like, that's forever. that's like a hidden okay so that's like a i would love if that were my hidden talent uh-huh. like if god said look Justin, i grant you with one talent <laughs> it would be to be able to have the ability to freestyle yeah and spit like that Oof. and go in any crowd of people and just hammer Unbelievable. and just yes oh i, would, I just i, I would mean, love to decimate people like that the only <laughs> See, so, but I got the, well, it's not an unfortunate talent, just kind of a more useless talent that I can memorize all of it. I can't actually come up with any of it on my own <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unless it's in a context of actual writing. But um, yeah, it's my pre-party song was an exhibit song and it was the song, call it what you want to call it. I'm a fucking alcoholic. Now, okay. I was 17 when that became my pre-party song. I, I mean, it was so ironic that I was later to really graduate to becoming an alcoholic. Um, but I because I really did. I just from the time I started drinking, I was I wasn't interested in, you know, just having fun. It was always about changing the way I felt because I hated how I felt and I hated myself and I had so many insecurities. And it was just like I said, it was like this freedom from that. You know, it was like the one thing that would let it shut off, like because I have this chatter in my brain my late husband used to talk about um that you know it just goes all the time it's just talking 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 telling me what a piece of shit I am telling me that I'm not good enough and it would just shut that off for a little while and I just chased that feeling um and the reason I mention all that when you in the context of my husband um many years later um after I graduated from college I lived abroad for a time I had an Italian uh fiance for a time um that was interesting you think relationships are hard in your first language like try it when it's both your second because he was half mexican half italian he spoke only spanish and italian when i met him i didn't speak spanish because of course i took five years of french which was super useful and so i learned italian to be in this relationship but i was still so insecure after graduating from school i decided maybe if i get some more letters after my name I'm gonna feel better about myself maybe I'll feel like I'm smart so I decided to you know take the LSAT got into law school and um and so I ended up the first semester of law school I just found myself butting heads with people more and more having a harder time getting along with other people Um, And just feeling extremely insecure because anybody who's been to a sort of competitive educational environment, it's it's very challenging. And I already had a lot of insecurities because I was undiagnosed ADHD until I was 19. And so when I was young, I knew I just thought I was stupid. I, I didn't know that there was just a different divergent neurodivergence in my brain and that I'd learned differently. I just thought something was wrong with me. And um, so I go to law school end up um finding out that that italian stallion was quite a stallion when i was away and um he had a whole different life going on um that i wasn't aware of and so we broke up i moved into a studio apartment 
I got two cats because I couldn't get along with my roommate. Like we've had to break our lease in three months because I was just like, she's horrible. I didn't realize till later I had all these roommates that were horrible, but I was the one who was in all of those apartments. Yeah. Um, I don't like sharing space very much, but um, <laughs> but so I ended up just kind of what that relationship, that breakdown did was give me an excuse to drink how I wanted to because um, I felt like a victim and I was like, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink, you know, and so I would go hard at school I would get there at seven in the morning I thought because I was such a good student the truth was my school was next to a dive bar and if I didn't get there early enough I would have to park past the dive bar and walk to, to campus and I stopped being able to pass the bar and I would go in and I'd have some drinks and then I'd go to class and I got called on in civil procedure class completely wasted I had done the oh. reading and had like no idea what was going on and I ended up, um, I had a friend who confronted me and said, you know, I think you're brilliant, Lisa, and I think that you can do so much with your life, and I think you're going to ruin it by the way you're drinking. And I was so insulted, but I knew forever that I didn't drink like other people. And so I ended up working for this woman who, um, she, she seemed really cool, and because I have no sense of boundaries, I, like, tell her my story of my whole life and, like... (laughs) three days or something and I'm like we should go out and get a drink and she was like I've been sober for 20 years and I was like and if you're listening not watching my eyes got real big uh, because I was like sorry like you don't look like you're old enough to be sober that long and it turned out she had gotten sober when she was 21 years old and um, you know there were so many things that had to align for that woman to end up coming into my life when she did Um, And I, you know, shared these problems that were going on in my life. And she's like, you know, you ever thought about you might have an issue with alcohol? And I was like, no, lying, you know, completely lying. And um, at any rate, long story short, she ended up taking me um, with her to a recovery program that she was involved in. And um, I, I stopped drinking from the first time I went to one of those meetings. And I haven't drank since... June 14th of 2008. So I just celebrated 14 years of sobriety. Um, And all of this is like, what does this have to do with your dead husband? Well, because years later, um, after moving several times and um, passing the bar and all that, um, I got involved in that same recovery group up in the Bay Area once I moved up there from San Diego after law school. And I met my husband in recovery and um, we had a fast and furious connection like I mean just obsessed with each other from the very beginning you know it was I now look back and I'm able because it's been uh, seven years since he died it was seven years last month um, July 11th and I can look at the dynamics of the relationship and see that there was a lot of codependence there was a lot of like sort of unhealthy stuff going on there as much as I treasure every bit of it and I wouldn't change it. Um, But it was challenging as a relationship. As you know, um, he was a bit older than me. Do you remember how much older? Not quite. (laughs) He was 23 years older than me. Um, He looked really good for his age. I've just got to, you know, put that out there. But I was late 20s. He was coming out of a long marriage. Um, He had two older children his daughter was only eight years younger than me um and so I became you know the scapegoat of the family of like um 
I was the reason his marriage failed. It was it was really messy. I was not liked by the family to say the least. Um, but we moved in together almost right away. He moved in while he was going to quote unquote like find his own place and never left. Um, and we were together for a few years. Um, we had a, a beautiful one of those relationships that's like the most passionate and loving and amazing when it's good. And like when it's not good, it's really not good. You know, we had like these identical character defects. We were both jealous. We were both, you know, just all that kind of stuff. But but we loved each other. I knew I knew he always used to say that God took took him and took me and faced us towards each other and said, Lisa, Patrick, this is what you've been looking for. And we both felt that way. Um, and in September, so now it's August now, right? August 10th or something, whatever date it is today. Um, eight years ago, we were on a vacation to Maui with his two children. And like we were finally, things were getting integrated with the family. Things were getting better um, and would have never known anything was wrong. Um, and then a month later on uh, in the middle of the night, you know, the saying your life can change overnight uh, really happened because we had gone to a recovery meeting, our regular Monday night meeting, uh, came home and he had been real irritable and, but you know, he was going through a lot and things happen, couples fight. But I heard him in the middle of the night um, talking in, uh, in our living room and I was going, it's like two in the morning and I go out to the living room and he's sitting straight up on the floor and he's looking around not particularly at anything, but he's he's speaking really loud, but it's all gibberish coming out of his mouth. They're not words that can make any sense at all. And I'm looking at him and I'm trying to catch his attention. I'm going, Patrick, Patrick. And and he's just looking at me, but it's like he's looking through me and he's not there. And so I thought he was having a stroke, um, called 911. He had two grand mal seizures on the way to the, the hospital. Uh, they put him in a medically induced coma for 70, 72 hours. Um, and the initial imaging of his brain, um, they saw something, but because he had had some hemorrhaging, they couldn't clearly see in the MRI what it was. And this tumor board of an unnamed facility, which wasn't my favorite uh, medical facility for that to be that to happen at, um, they they all voted and decided it was this um it wasn't a tumor it was something that was like a congenital defect he'd have to have surgery but he'd be fine they ended up discharging him from the hospital and within a few weeks um well within two days from coming home from the hospital he had another seizure went back in and we found out that he had a brain tumor and um a few weeks after that he had uh the started the standard of care treatment which was um, a craniotomy so brain surgery and the pathology showed it was glioblastoma which is grade four brain cancer worst kind you can get um, and there's more to that story obviously but it went into um, I I was working full-time as an attorney um, I, I had to he needed 24-7 care from the very beginning and I thought you know, he had spent his life helping people and our recovery program in particular and giving back to people. And I thought, you know, no question, my role in this situation is to show him every day how loved he is and to be his advocate. 
and thank God I had the legal training I did. And if nothing ever comes from, you know, this whole mountains of debt from student loan debt and all that stuff to have the skills I had to get him the care he needed, um, which is a whole other topic for another day about access to good medical care. Um, but that was, that was enough because I was able to be with him every day. And he spent, um, he spent five months as an inpatient in the hospital on and off because he kept having seizures they couldn't control. Um, and, uh, then about eight months into his treatment, he, I mean, he wasn't responding to things. He was getting worse. They didn't know why I had him at like one of the best at the time. It was the number one neurology and neurosurgery center, um, in the country. And I remember the day when they came in and they just said, Lisa, we don't know why he's getting worse. And when I realized these are the best people in the country and they don't know what's wrong. And I knew he was going to die. And um, he shortly after decided he made the courageous decision to stop regular treatment and went into hospice. Um, and we got married a week later. He had asked he had asked me to marry him a few months before in the hospital. And um, and it was beautiful. We got married like at our apartment complex and my friends and family like rallied to put this thing together and it was perfect. And he had a good day that day because um, I think this will come up later, but a lot of what happened during his illness was he had a lot of bad days where he was not himself. Um, but he we, he had a good day, and 48 days later, on July 11th of 2015, I held him as he died. And um, that was... There are a lot of people who, ex who express experiences of witnessing someone die say it's, it's you know it's magical they see like the other side there's they're at peace that was not the case uh for him it was very traumatic for me um and but I was there and that's something that I'll be proud of every day for the rest of my life I could have never done more than what I did for him during that time um but obviously it was just completely devastating I was at that point I was seven years sober and he died, he had 26 years of sobriety. So what was the most traumatic thing about that, apart from obviously losing somebody that you love so so dearly? You know, throughout the experience, the tricky part, I, I've been an advocate with the brain tumor community. It took about a year after he died before I ever wanted to even hear the words brain tumor again. But I've been a really involved advocate with... Um, some different organizations since then the tricky part is that every brain tumor affects people differently right so um glioblastoma the median survival rate is uh i believe it's 15 months um and the survival rate past five years is like less than five percent or it might be five percent now and that's gone up um and so not everybody has everybody like depending on what part of your brain is affected by the tumor um, everybody has a different experience. And unfortunately, Patrick's tumor um, kind of the way, best way to describe it is it presented in a way that was almost like he had cancer of the body, but he also had Alzheimer's and dementia at times. Fortunately, he always came back from it. And I could see just like that first day where I he wasn't looking at me. It was like he was a different person. I could see the switch in his eyes when he would go away and I was talking to the tumor and I was not talking to him. And in the beginning, especially, I didn't know what was happening. It was terrifying. He was very strong. 
um, and he was very violent and um, and extremely verbally abusive as well. And like this is a man who I had never heard him use the words that he would at times only use for days at a time because he would have psychosis after his seizures and sometimes it would last a few hours and sometimes it would last two weeks and during that time I mean he'd be we called him like a frequent code gray in the hospital which code gray in the hospital if they call it means get security in here because he's ripping out his IVs he doesn't know what's happening but what he knows is he's looking at me I'm not stopping it and he's thinking that I'm in this conspiracy against him he becomes paranoid mm. um and and physically violent and when he was in the hospital I had people to help um but I refused to put him in a home um or somewhere that was not his home I wanted to care for him at home um and as a result those things continued to happen but it was just me and so I was afraid of him being removed from the home um if I told the truth about what was happening and so I just didn't tell people. And so I was kind of experiencing all this abuse um, and I didn't talk about it. Also, because he was an extremely private person, I didn't want to do anything that would malign his reputation. He couldn't speak for himself. And anybody who knew him knew that this was his tumor. This was not him. But I just didn't want anybody to know what was happening, you know, and I wanted to protect his privacy. And so I just took all kinds of abuse um for a long time and so living with that living in a heightened state of fight or flight for the entire 10 months because there was always a crisis you know my nervous system just became extremely dysregulated um and my whole body just completely like shut down after he died and it but so much of the trauma was um just because he Sometimes he was my Patrick, you know, the loving guy, and I'd love it because I'd see it, he'd come back, you know, and then sometimes he wasn't, and um, it was a really sad thing to see. I saw it happen one time where he, w I came home, uh, one friend could stay with him when he was alone that could handle him and his moods, and I came home, and he's looking at me with that look, and I know he's about to accuse me of something, right, because it was like any nurse who entered the room, I was sleeping with them. Like any, I mean, everything, it was just terrible. And, um, you know, he's screaming at me, calling me a terrible name while the friend is there. And I'm like, you can go. And my friend is horrified, you know, but I'm like, it's okay. You can go. And usually he'd go to sleep and then wake up and not remember. But this time he didn't go to sleep. I'm sitting on the couch crying and he just looks over at me and he goes, baby, what's wrong? And I was like, do you not know what just happened? And, uh, and he, he didn't, and he made me tell him. And when I told him what he said, he just put his head in his hands and he started rocking back and forth, just saying, how can this happen? How can this happen? He had no memory of it. And um, that was the blessing, I think, for him is that he didn't remember, um, but I did. So that was a lot to internalize. Man. Yeah, I don't think you've ever heard like the true extent of all of it. No, either. I haven't. Mm -mm. I haven't honestly talked about it until very recently, like because it took me a lot of years of continuing to worry about his reputation um, and 
what what if his family hears what I'm saying I've learned I don't care <laughs> you know at this point I just have to be true to what the truth was and I know that he would respect whatever I needed to do to heal right and it wasn't even anything he could control anyway no so it's it's not like it's a bad thing no. you can't control it you know yeah but I didn't at the time I just wanted everyone he had such a amazing reputation in our community and I just didn't want I didn't want that to change you know man yeah sorry to dump well, that on you but well 2015 <laughs> so after 2015 yeah you then so tell us the journey after his departure unfortunately so um after he died a couple months later, I went back to work at the same firm I had been with, and they were they were supportive throughout this process and let me take off time. When we we weren't initially married at first, and so it was very complicated trying to get time off and all that stuff. Um, but they, you know, they stuck with me, so I stuck with them. And um, I just couldn't, I couldn't get back to where I had been in terms of the pace of the work that was required, the volume of work. Um, it was just always too much. I was always afraid that I was going to start crying in court um, or, you know, in a deposition. Fortunately, that never happened. But um, I didn't know until about six months after he died when I was having nightmares and flashbacks of like not just the night he died, but all the things I've sort of alluded to um, that I was I was in therapy um, and I was diagnosed with complex PTSD which um well PTSD for is the DSM uh accepted diagnosis complex PTSD isn't officially recognized although most practitioners recognize it um but I started just I was you know the first year after he died I felt like um everybody kind of at the where I was working had patience for me um, and understood that things were taking me longer and that it was hard um, and I was having a hard time. But unfortunately, we live in such a death-phobic society and we are so misinformed about death and grief and what it really is um, that we have this artificial timeline that you're supposed to follow. And so in my mind, I'm going, okay, just get through the first year. The first year is going to be the hardest. I'm going to graduate from Grief University after, the, after a year and then it's going to be fine. And the truth of that was, well, first of all, that's total bullshit. Like everybody's experience is completely different. And my experience is grief just becomes a part of you. It doesn't go away. Um, but they, the firm also had that same sort of expectation of that timeline. And when I couldn't, I still couldn't keep up with the level that they needed me to or wanted me to, um, I started getting a lot of sort of like passive aggressive, like, I, I always joke that there's like a sad faced emoji on my um, like my monthly billing report instead of my boss coming and talking to me and saying like what's going on and how can we help it was just like sad face like you should be billing more than this and the more I went on at the time I was working um, as a defense attorney in civil litigation and a lot of my clients were insurance companies and I was doing workers comp and um I started feeling I'd always not liked working for insurance companies for a variety of reasons. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm pigeonholing myself if anybody ever hears this. But this is good because I'll put this out there into the ether. 
I don't want to ever go back to a job like this. Um, but I no longer felt like working for insurance companies where my role, while I was a check on the system to make sure that people, you know, there's a lot of fraud in workers comp, um, you're making sure that the right claims are getting the right benefits. I could no longer in good conscience be a part of a system that was denying people care after what I had experienced getting my husband care um, and, and the red tape and the constant battling and how much of my time that should have been spent at my husband's bedside was on the phone with insurance companies, hospitals, administrators who were not doctors and who had no idea like what he actually needed. And I just couldn't be a part of that system anymore. And so I, I did it for a few years and I kept trying to live in the Bay Area and maintain this life. And I was, I was just, I was grieving and I, it was ugly. I went through, you remember me talking about my sheet cake phase? Do you yes, remember that? Yes, of course. <laughs> sheet cake. I was literally eating sheet cake for multiple meals a day, which is one of the many reasons I ended up at Justin's front door. Um, but it was vanilla sheet cake, right? Oh, it didn't really matter. It oh, was whatever no. had the most frosting. And it wasn't even like good sheet cake. We're talking like Vons, yeah. Vons yeah, yeah. sheet cake with a lot of those flowers on top. And I started doing it like totally alcoholically where I would like go to different bakeries because I was afraid the people would notice how often I was there. Oh, shit. There was like a guy who one time he, he asked me, do you want anything written on the cake? And I just looked at him with like daggers and I so badly wanted to say my fucking cake. Like that's what it's got to say, okay? I was just like, no, it's fine. Um, but I just kind of went into this spiral trying to fill this hole inside of me with food, with stuff. You know, I bought a BMW, which is just all kinds of stuff that I thought was going to make me better. I, you know, got filler in my lips and I got hair extensions and I just, you know, all this stuff trying to feel better and none of it worked. And and I thought it was the job. I knew I knew what happened. I started getting really sick. Um, about a year after uh, after he died, a little over a year, I had a back surgery and then um, and I started they couldn't figure out what was wrong and I started realizing this is soul sickness. Like I am doing something that is completely unaligned with my purpose and I can't do it anymore. And it was the first time I am a type A overachieving plan every second of every day type of person, which is why, uh, I mentioned before we started, it was Justin just asked me last night if I wanted to do this today. And I answered him at 3.50 in the morning when I was up to do a 4.30 a.m. ride on my Peloton because <laughs> that's who I still am. Um, but it didn't give me enough time to ask questions of like, what are you going to ask me? What are we going to talk about? And that's the kind of person I'm used to being. Okay, so let me, let me uh, be fully transparent right now. I remember that about you. Uh -huh. And I remember how much of a planner you are. And I've had this slot open for you since you had last reached out to me about, you know, we jokingly doing a podcast. But in my mind, I wasn't joking. And I'm like, okay, I know I have this spot. Normally, I don't typically do Wednesdays as a guest with a guest. I typically do an ISO session or just a solo session, right? But I know that that's the way your mind works. And I'm not going to get the best out of you if I do that, if I tell you in advance, like a few days. And so even though it wasn't a long period of time in between when you, we had jokingly talked about doing a podcast together, 
and the actual, you know, event, I know that that's the way your mind's going to work and operate. And I know I'm not going to get the best at because the only thing I give a shit about is raw transparency. Yeah. So, and it's not just me, but it's for people that are listening. Yeah. People don't really care about a script. Right. <laughs> and the fact is, I didn't want you to stress over this or get anxiety over it. And so I knew I had the slot and I was kind of preparing my mind. Like, I know I want you to do it. I know this is the day I want you to do it, but I didn't want to, I wanted to tell you last minute. I knew that there was a possibility that you're going to decline because, you know, people have schedules and shit. And so, but I just took the shot in the dark, provided this was the best way to get to you and not have your mind go a thousand miles an hour about what we're going to, you know, talk about, et cetera, et cetera. And you did ask that obviously, but you know, full disclosure to, to the, to the viewers, you did ask what we're going to talk about and or what we want to talk about or something of that where, nature. Yeah, tell me where, when, and, and what you want to talk about right. or are you going to surprise me? And you yeah. said anything and everything and I asked no, no <laughs> yes, questions. Yes. <laughs> and and that's all. And that's and that's really the, 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 the thesis behind the podcast is really just that, just being raw, transparent. Whatever comes up is whatever comes up. It's yeah. conversation, you know. But I also wanted you to come on because once that, once you were joking about it, it really did spark the thought more provocatively because I wanted, I know you have a backstory, you know, I know you have this fucking crazy story and I only know segments of it and I know there's a lot of filler between those segments and I know that that's going to be very penetrable to people as well because they'll be able to relate to you likely. I mean, this podcast goes out to everybody anywhere, you know, anybody can get a hold of this. So that's another reason why I wanted you on. And so again, knowing that that was going to be probably the case or you would rack your brain in, in, whoa, what the fuck are we going to talk about? What do I say? How do I, you know, I have to kind of be spontaneous with you. You were smart in doing that. And you know, it's, I'm not that smart. Well, you were at least intuitive enough to know, you know me well enough to understand that that's absolutely accurate. That's you know, it's, I'm a preparer. I, you know, I, it's what I was trained as a lawyer to be, right? You know, you want to know your argument, you know, you want to know every possible outcome for everything. What are your, you know, ins out and the other, uh, everything that you could possibly think about. And the good thing is over the last year I have, or years, I've had so many things where like, if I've learned anything is that I don't know shit about what's going to happen. I don't, I mean, I can have ideas and and goals and plans or ideas that I want to work towards, but I am not in control of anything. And so recently I've kind of had this more of this mindset of just like, just say yes to things and stop asking questions, you know? And just a few weeks ago, I, it was like the first time my friend asked me to come to her birthday party. I've been really, really quarantined during all of this COVID stuff. And I just said, yes, it was the next day. You know, I got to see her, then got to see some other people. And I've started to feel like the energy and the universe sort of shifting for me to say yes to things, start getting out there. And um, yeah, spontaneous conversation. And one of the good things is I've told my story, both as an advocate for the brain tumor community and in recovery many, many times. So it's like I, it always comes out better if you're not, you know, scripted and rehearsed mm. because it's not, if I value anything like you, like 
authenticity is what matters to me honesty authenticity like the rest of it's just bullshit you know yeah and and even though it might be true bullshit Mm -hmm. it's still it's still you you can't i guess i'll say this you can't prepare for anything you really just can't you can try to prepare for things that are you know dates or events that are coming up or what have you but really you can't prepare for what life throws at you and you're uh, you're an awesome well i don't mean this in an this is going to sound bad but good but it's you're an awesome illustration or example for that because you haven't been able to prepare for shit and there's been a lot of bullets coming your way yeah and i mean unfortunately i'm i'm hearing it through instagram and and but at the same time i'd rather hear about that shit personally but that's not the case with us right now so i hear about it through instagram and I reach out to you several times in your stories, but it, you know, it doesn't know justice in terms of in juxtaposition to if I were with you in person and, yeah. you know, having real time convo, but you had a lot of bullets come your way and you can't prepare for any of that shit. So how do you, how do you rectify the situations? How do you, how do you find solutions to what you're going through? Like give one example of what you've been through that you couldn't prepare for that you've made it out of. Hmm. That I, I was like, some of the things are still are, ongoing, um, but made it out of. I mean, I think even just the just leaving that job without a backup plan and saying I'm going to move home. I had to move home with my parents several years ago when I moved down to the Central Coast um, without a job. You know, I remember my dad said to me, "You can't, you can't not have a plan. You and you have a good job, and they pay you well." And I, I've had a lot of, aside from the PTSD, a lot of challenges with anxiety, depression, you know, over the years. And I had to, the only way I could get my dad to understand the severity of it was to say, well, yeah, a good job is nice. A good paycheck is nice. None of it matters if I'm fucking dead, you know, because I was that, it was that point that I was very suicidal. And, you know, it finally made him understand, like, this is not a joke, like, my mental health is really uh, at risk here. And so just deciding to do anything without a plan was like unheard of in my life. But I did that. And I thought I was going to be off work for like, I don't know, like a month or two. And I ended up being off of work for almost a year before I got a a job down here and went back to work full time, Um, which I did again. And I made some changes in that job. It was like, oh, it's not billable hours. It'll be different, right? But at the end of the day, the underlying tone of what I was doing was still very much the same. And and I I had to go through again getting very sick and continue to get sicker in order to see like I can't the people who are able to stay in bad situations and just sort of like muscle through it and just accept this is what life is. You know, you have to nobody likes their job like just be responsible, be a good capitalist, you know, <laughs> like participate in the in the ultimate design of checking the boxes. Like I was unable to physically do that anymore after the pandemic. Um, I worked from home for a year and then I just got sicker and sicker. And, you know, again, I had to make the decision to go back off of work. And, um, and, and I guess I don't I shouldn't say that I didn't have to. 
but it didn't feel like much of a choice because I've gotten to a point where I'm so aligned with who I am and what my values are that it doesn't feel like a choice to stay in something that does isn't compatible with that you know and so um I think a lot of times like what did I do to get through things I literally put one foot in front of the other I learned to live a day at a time a long time ago and I don't for many years I knew that in theory but didn't really understand what it meant to actually have to live day to day but that's the situation I've sort of been forced into. Um, I can't make plans right now because things with my health are really up in the air. I can't, um, I, you know, I'm, my current circumstances are such that I can't, uh, I don't know when the circumstances are going to change. There's no like light at the end of the tunnel for this current health situation. Um, but I can also see that because of that, I could be depressed every day. I could stay in the dark and which is totally justifiable because I have a couple of weird headache conditions that make me really light sensitive. <laughs> so being in the dark literally is like something I do. But what I've learned to do is practice um, not just self-care because that's important, but actually having self-compassion and understanding, you know what, some days I'm going to wake up, I'm going to be in pain, I'm going to be sick, I'm going to be depressed whatever it is and today that's what today is right okay that's gonna be that and tomorrow I'll try again you know and I just and I tomorrow I try again you know and sometimes it lasts longer than I'd like it to um but I'm okay with giving myself grace and saying every day you can't be a fucking rock star star you know like you just can't some people adopt that same type of mindset but they don't they're not good discerners of what day it actually is. So for example, I've had clients come in numerous times and they say, I'm just, this is one of those days. I just want a particular, I will not mention names. <laughs> one in particular that she would come in and she's just one of those days. And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what is just one of those days? And I, but Look, I am of different hardwire. So I cannot expect, a, much less a, a female, to operate the same way on the same frequency as a male does with regards to work, mm -hmm. doing shit. It's like I males are taught most of their lives don't be in your feelings. They're just taught that. They're taught that by their fathers. And even if they're not taught that, they see it they they see it visually unfold in their dads or in their grandparents culture. exactly it's the culture so we're just kind of indoctrinated to think fuck how i feel this is i have to do this shit right so men kind of have a leg up in most not not all men most men have a leg up in that regard and they'll just do shit they have to do even even if they don't like the way they like what they're doing you know like for example, like their jobs. You think most men dream about working for the government or the city? Well, I'm going to go get a city job because that's my dream. I want to work for the state. Now, city is great because there's a bunch of fucking benefits. You got job security, etc. You do different jobs all the time. Whatever, right? I got a lot of friends that are in, not a lot. I got like two friends that are in city work right now. And they don't love it. But they like it and they like for what it provides. Right. And as a man, that's what you give a shit about. Being able to be a provider. Like that's already kind of 
predisposed in your DNA is to want to be a provider, provide for a woman, if you have a family, etc. That gives you a sense of contribution, confidence, competency, etc. So we want to do that, but we don't necessarily like doing it perhaps, okay? But with, with this particular woman, she would come in a lot and say that a lot. And it's like, but okay, do you really feel that way? Or is it just one thing went wrong in the, you know, in the morning and then you decided to let it muck up your entire rest of the morning. And this is likely going to be the theme for the rest of the day. Is that what's happening? But I don't, I, I guess I mind my P's and Q's when it comes to certain folks. There's folks again, certain people, <laughs> but I don't want to, even though I'm what seemingly is a combative person or a confrontational person, at least what I dispense with on, on this podcast, I don't really like to be that in real conversation, in real time, in real energy exchanges with people because that doesn't make the situation better likely. If I contend with it, it's not going to likely make her situation better. It's not going to, you know, circumvent it to be something more positive. Now, the best the best I have or rather the best thing I could hope for is give her a good workout and help her to feel better on her own when she leaves because of whatever she went through and whatever endorphins it did end up secreting, et cetera, that made her have a better sense of well-being. And she can leave on her own accord feeling better because of what she put forth into the workout. So I have to be now the navigator in what exercises I think she's going to benefit from based on her productivity level currently, mood currently, et cetera. What, so anyways, that whole plays a hand in being a personal trainer. But at the same time, in my in my mammal brain or my reptilian brain, I'm thinking, just suck it up. Like it's not that big of a deal. You live in a you live in California, you drive a car. By by most countries' standards, you're fucking rich. And you're complaining about this. You're complaining about because your coffee wasn't creamered enough in the morning, or you didn't have a Splenda. <laughs> to go with your fucking coffee. I don't know. I'm just saying yeah. this is not real life <laughs> example. I'm just saying like it could have been a, as minuscule as that. Mm-hmm. So where do you discern? You have to be a, what I'm saying is long way way of saying you have to be a good discerner of what what allowance you give the day if it's that bad of a day or not. And that's also long way with getting at the fact that you do have that discerning quality to you. You're not just going to pussy out for the day because something like something as minuscule as the coffee cream or not being there is going to ruin your day. You know, yeah. you're going to go, you're going to supersede above that. It's got to be something drastic for it to ruin the day for, for Lisa. Most of the time. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit with some of that. Um, just in that, I think, yes, for sure, men and women and you know non-binary folks people are wired differently right but i do think that there are certain things that are in my opinion um much more about environment right and the what we're taught in our society as to what our roles are and men are taught keep your feelings in and 
women are allowed to have more emotion um although you know the way that it manifests is judged differently right like so a woman who is assertive is seen as a bitch in the you know in the corporate setting a man who is assertive is is seen as a go-getter um those are those are different standards unfortunately that exist um but i do think that like First, first, I'd like to think most people, if the creamer and the coffee isn't there, to use your example, um, it's not about the creamer and the coffee, right? It's like the one more thing that it's just like, can everything not be fucked up, you know? Like, and so it sounds like it's about the coffee creamer, but it's not. Like, generally speaking, in my experience, when it's like, for me, because it's some, it might sometimes seem like this really isn't that serious, Lisa. Like, why am I getting so worked up about it? it's rarely about the inciting event, right? It's much more about what is this triggering within me? This is triggering, you know, I'm feeling out of control. I'm feeling shame, you know, about my current situation. I'm feeling like worthless, whatever it is. And most of it comes from childhood stuff, right? That um, up until about eight months ago, shockingly, when I had to move back with my family again, uh, that I didn't even realize were in existence. But my whole thing with the idea of, um, so well, first to answer the question about discernment, um, right now I haven't been able to work because of my health for quite some time, which as a person who has, you know, I worked my, I didn't graduate second in my class from law school because I like, my life goal was to move home with my parents, right? Like this, this is not the plan that I had for my life. Um, and this is not where I thought I'd be at this point in my life. But circumstances have been such that, you know, I, I also didn't plan for my husband to die. I didn't plan for to have such severe PTSD and trauma that my whole body freaked out and I ended up in this autoimmune world and all this stuff. Um, but the discernment for me comes when like I, I'm able to now after like years of therapy to actually feel when my body is dysregulated when my my stuff starts going funky and wonky and sometimes even though I see it and I know what's happening I can't stop it from happening I'm just aware of it and the fortunate part is I know it's going to pass but when I feel that dysregulated and it's not just something like you know a little thing the coffee whatever then I can say okay like this is happening as a result of you know continued trauma in my body um, there's a really great book um, called uh, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, if you've ever heard of it. It's about uh, PTSD and how it, trauma lives in your body and like what it actually does, the physiology behind it, um, which I've learned so much about and I feel so much better about because I'm like, I'm not just crazy. Like it's literally trauma working itself out in the body. Um, when those things kind of happen, um, I will allow myself to 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 let the feelings go through me because because my experience is that when I push things away and I just muscle through it which is what I did for most of my life um it's still there right it lives somewhere in my body and it will come up eventually whether it's you know the next day in you know somebody cuts me off in traffic and I go completely ballistic which is something I'm still working on. I'm not the most spiritual in my car, um, which we know because I had a car accident come, leaving your leaving train oh, with yeah, you that one time. That. That's because yeah. I was taking an Instagram video oh while gosh. I was driving, which, uh, well, which was not endorsed by Justin, by the way. Um, 
anyway, <laughs> that got rid of that BMW real quick. But um, the idea that like, so if it comes up the next day or in the interaction that you have with your family or a friend um, and you're sharp on something, and it's like, this is why I say so many things are not the thing, the inciting event, it's something else. Like, Or if it's 10 years down the road and you've been stuffing this emotional trauma, not processing it, and all of a sudden you end up with cancer. And I'm not saying that cancer is caused exclusively by those things, but do they help? No, chronic stress on the body, we know like it, it just tears you down right over time. And so I'm kind of um, the type of person that I really, I, I, I aim to stay away from, um, if you're familiar with the sort of the concept of toxic positivity, um, where it's like, you know, the idea of like, well, people have it better, you know, worse other places. Like, you th and that's always true. People are always going to, there's always going to be somebody who has it worse off than you, right? But what's been important for me is to acknowledge that even if people have things worse than I do, what's happening right now and my feelings about it are valid, right? And so even if I could say, well, it's going to get better because I'm just the type of person, what I've learned throughout this whole grief process and all the things I've been through in my life is that tying something up, what we want as a society, we are uncomfortable just not just with death and dying and grief and all any complex emotional, you know, situation. We are not comfortable as humans, particularly in our culture, with uncertainty, right? We want to be able to tie it in a bow and say, oh, but this great thing came out of trauma, right? Or this wonderful thing happened um, as a result. And that might be true. But it doesn't, it doesn't help in my experience to minimize what that traumatic experience is like for the person experiencing it, you know. And so I just bring it up because a lot of times, you know, people, one of the, I, all the grief platitudes people would say to me, well, he's in a better place now. I'm like, really? He's not with his best friend anymore? Like, what's better than that? You know, like at the time, I, I understand there are lots of theories about what's better than that, but like. All those things might be true, but what it feels like to the person who's going through those experiences is invalidating. It feels like I'm not being heard. It feels like I'm being, my emotions, my feelings are being dismissed um, as not important. So I shut down. I stop talking about it. I start internalizing it. That keeps, you know, dysregulating my, my nervous system and I can't get better, you know, because I'm not being honest. And so when you mentioned, um, you know, what you've seen about what's been going on with me has been through my Instagram stories. I'm very open in my stories and, and in my, I have a blog as well. I don't write in it that often anymore um, because although now after listening to one of your podcasts on the way here about archiving and that like you need to, you can't just have one thing you write every two months or whatever, like you oh. need to have consistent stuff so that you have something to go back to. Um, you know, I, I started sharing really openly about these challenges that I've had um, in hopes that somebody who's going through it and who is not talking about it can say, I feel a little bit less alone. Somebody else is experiencing this. And so there are a lot of people who might see my experience and what I'm talking about as being quote unquote negative, right? Like, 
oh, it's always talking about these problems. But you know what? Those problems are my life right now. You know, like I can't control like the stuff that's going on with my health. I can't control. But what I can control is how I respond to it. And what I've noticed for me and what has given me that peace I was talking about at the beginning is just being honest about where I'm at. And it's not always pretty, you know, like and we don't all have the luxury of just shutting down for a day. The reason I can do that right now is because I'm not working, right? So like if I had a full-time job that I had to just get up and go to, which I did for a lot of years, um, you know, it's a really, I, I feel like the way that our system is set up, it discourages people from really digging deep, right? Because because there isn't time. We think there isn't time. But you know what? To me, if I can make time to work out for whatever, it could be even 20 minutes, but I rarely work out less than 90 minutes or whatever I do. Like if I can make time for that, but I think I don't have time to like to really get in touch with what's going on with me. I don't have that discernment about what's going on unless I can really know what's happening in my body, in my soul, in my mind. And like that has taken years of work and um, and accepting that like, man, I don't like the way things are right now. And that's OK. You know, like I don't have to like everything. And it doesn't mean I'm not grateful for things because I believe that gratitude and unhappiness about your circumstances can coexist, you know, because they do in me all the time. Like I'm, you know, angry about what's happening, but I'm also grateful that I do have I do live in a country where, you know, in California, I do, even though my circumstances aren't great, I do have a family that I can live with right now, like while I'm going through all this stuff. So I just think it's important to to also acknowledge that men in particular um, are not, in my experience, encouraged to explore those things as much as women are. Um, but I do think that if we were really all on an equal playing field and we didn't have all these things like programmed into us from the time we were little about how we should be. Um, there might be a little more, I think we'd be surprised there'd be a little bit more evenness in terms of how we respond to the world as, you know, men, women, or, you know, however we identify, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Challenge me back, please. No, no, no. So the thing is, is that, it, you're, you're correct in everything you're saying. The only problem is that you're speaking as a woman. So that's, there's a, there's a large, there's going to be a large disconnect in regards to when you speak that way to a man, because men don't have that privilege. So the privilege you, I know you, you want that to be, you want that to exist and you want the the advent of men to be more laced in their feelings etc or be able to uh, uh, you know uh identify their feelings and then be able to dispense with them that doesn't work out in real life with other men mixed with other men mm -hmm. so oh, right. men sure. will call other men uh, absurd names because of yes. that if they so and this life is all about civilization and acceptance mm -hmm. so by that token, that man won't be accepted by his other men. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to likely feel disconnected from his own tribe. Right. And that can only, you know, go down the rabbit hole from there. We can only go down the rabbit hole from there and, and, and presuppose what would happen after that. But 
the reason like I I don't not agree with what you're saying, but in in actual reality, the way it plays out, that looks great on paper. The way it plays out in real civilization is an L for most men to operate yeah. in that in that plat on that platform. And is that discouraging? Yes. But is that also encouraging to males? Yes. Because males operate on a different playing field than women operate. And that actually shaming man. Now we'll go to an extent to that we haven't talked about yet, but shaming a man can actually be encouraging to that man based on how he shamed and who he shamed from or rather by. So let me give you an example. If I have a friend and he's falling off the wagon with his diet and his training, I can tell him, bro, you're getting fat. What the fuck is happening? And he yeah. will be like, he might contend with me a little bit, but he's in a, he's in a, he's going to sort of revel in that thought that I, that I just told him and be like, you know what? He's not going to say it to me. He's not going to, he's not going to concede to it, but he's going to know that I'm right. Because he's been telling himself the same shit, right. just had a lack of discipline to make anything happen. Right. So, but a woman cannot tell another woman that. Nope. There will be a fight, I'm sure, right? <laughs> or at least not maybe to each other's faces, but there will be a lot of feelings of resentment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you just said it right there, feelings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the man, even though he may feel a certain way, he's not going to tell that man, hey, listen, man, that makes me feel like shit. Like you telling me that? That's, that makes that doesn't make me feel good. He's just gonna suppress it, mm -hmm. and he's gonna do away with it, or rather, you know, contend with it later on his own. But likely, it's going to encourage him to be different in that regard, or do better in that regard. And I'll give you an example. This happened in in my life when I was young. I got made fun of for a multitude of things, but we're talking about like young, young, like. 10, 11 when I was playing like baseball and shit and minor Formative leagues. years, yeah. Yes. And I remember in particular one guy saying, making fun of me something or other and making fun of, and almost like, and also he, he was combative towards me in a physical manner. And I remember thinking that was threatening. Like I was fearful in that, in that certain, in that, in that time. And I remember the first thing I did when I got home, I went in the garage and I started fucking curling weights and never lifted a weight in my life. But I know hard, like in terms of the DNA aspect of things, I knew the only way for me to combat this other man and compete with him is for me to get stronger. I don't know how to get stronger. So I do the only thing that I know how I lift weights. I lift my, I lift this fucking barbell up and I start curling shit, even though to me, that's not. It's, it's the only thing that I'm doing is trying to make myself more physically capable mm -hmm. because I don't know if I'm going to, if that threat is going to impose on me again and I want to make sure I'm fucking prepared. So that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I didn't start to box, although that would be another, another issue like, or not, not issue. That would be another uh, activity I could partake in to better equip me for the threat that might come. But this man challenged me and I was 11 and that's the first challenge I've ever had that I ever, I still remember this guy's name, obviously, but he challenged me and it put me in my seat to the point where I now have to do something to circumvent that feeling sure. to be not that feeling anymore. Cause that was shit. And I don't want to feel that way anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel that way again. 
So you know that feeling you feel you get hot and you feel like you're like you're bubbling all over, but it's I'm not a with Scorpio. Of course, I know of course. That so it's, but it's not with rage. It's right. like with fear. Yes, like you're fear stricken, and so that's how I combated it. Mm-hmm. I went home that night and it was after a baseball game, and I started doing shit to make me more prepared. Right. Even though I didn't know what I was doing, but here's that's the thing. It's like I'm not going to go in my room and go in the corner and cry. Mm-hmm. Even though that's valid for some people to partake in. Not this man. Mm-hmm. And not most masculine man. Men. It's not about being alpha. It's not about being beta. It's about you adopting traits that are otherwise predisposed to you for a millennia. It's yeah. not like we can change this in the last hundred years. This is survival. Just, yeah. Yes, yeah, survival. You're right. So as much as I want to agree that that would be, that would look actually great on paper and it does, it doesn't play out the way that we'd like in real life. Well, and I would, I'd agree with you on that. I want to, to clarify too, because I think that I probably wasn't super clear. One of the things I want to say too, is that I have absolutely used those situations that I might have felt shame couldn't identify as shame at the time it might have been fear whatever it came up as um I still use physical exercise I still use those things to sort out whatever's coming up for me right like and it doesn't always work but I know like even for even for a little while if I go do my workout I'm focused on my workout I'm not thinking about all that other shit but for me like What's important is that in addition to doing that, I also need to be able to maybe look and maybe sometimes that's just enough. Right. Like and I can just work out that frustration. I mean, I'm a hothead. OK, like I'm 14 years sober. We're meeting a very different Lisa O'Leary than we would have met like many years ago Um where I was called a rageaholic by the first mentor I had in my recovery program. And she wasn't wrong. Um I'm only now kind of learning where all that anger came from. So I don't want to discount the importance of that too. And like, and taking something that is hurtful, frustrating, enraging, fear, fear inducing and doing something with it. Right. It's for me, it's just, I've had to use, I did all of that for as long as I could until for me, whatever I was internalizing, it wasn't all getting out right when I would do those physical activities or whatever it was and so for me like you know when you're in a heightened state of um of fight or flight for a long period of time that's where complex PTSD comes from it's instead of like an isolated incident it's like prolonged trauma over a period of time um it's one of those things where like as those things build up like I can only put it down so much until my body has started to like internalize it. And I 100%, not 100%, maybe a a large percentage of, I I believe, why I ended up with an autoimmune disease is because I was so dysregulated for so long and my body went haywire. There are plenty of people, and I totally agree with you that our society says men do not delve into all this other stuff, right? Like, and some people can get through life like that, you know, like, and don't need to go into that deeper place. Where does it come from? How to identify what's coming up when it's coming up? Because for me, getting to the place where I'm really in touch with like who I am, what my triggers are, 
it doesn't exempt me from the triggers, right? Like they still happen. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't use this saying, but I'm gonna, like, I used to joke that I had automobile, automobile induced Tourette syndrome because I'm just such a foul mouth when I drive. I'm like, it's like the least spiritual place I can be. But like, those things still happen regardless of the fact that I know where it's coming from. But for me, it's important that I do know I can identify where it's coming from and I go, okay, I can see this is coming from a place of anger or rage or, you know, whatever it's coming from. What is that underlying? It's usually fear of what is for me. I don't know if you agree with this, but like what things come down to when I'm angry, upset, frightened is the fear of not getting what I want or losing what I want to keep. Right. And here's a theory. I should put this out there. And this is not factual. This is, this is my theory. What if the reason why men don't have so many dysregulations in their body is because they've been dealing with this shit for, they've been dealing with the stressors for a millennia and they just adapted to it more so than the woman has because the, because the woman isn't, isn't threatened by the same things that a man is threatened by. And so men have evolved to adapt to this, these particular threats in a way that they don't become dysregulated internally and they can, I'm not saying they can deal with a lot more, but when combat, when, when interfacing with threat, because we've been dealing with it, and I'm not saying me, I'm just saying men in general have been dealing with it for such a long period of time that they're just now fucking adapted to dealing with this same bullshit. And on, on average, men live obviously shorter existences than women do, but does it evolve into something like a like a cancer or does it evolve into something like a, a autoimmune disorder as often as it does with women if women were to experience the same type of trauma and and situations in their life because or threat rather because they're not really made to go through that type of trauma or threat you know it's an interesting it's an interesting question and perspective and i would say while there is certainly truth in the type of threats historically have been different, right? For men and women, um, going back to how, just how like people have evolved from the beginning of time is like, you know, man is the protector, but I would say that women, and I don't think you disagree with this and I'm not trying to argue that you are, um, but that the types of threats that women have experienced, um, I don't think have historically been seen as, as valid of threats um because a threat to your body like for example like i don't know many women these days who haven't had some sort of experience with either assault or you know something that's happened to them but what we've been taught to do is keep your mouth shut right like because because the system is against you right i had a personal experience of getting attacked by a boyfriend when i was 19 um, I made the decision ultimately to talk to a teacher, a professor at school, um, and because I had bruises all over my neck and it was obvious that something had happened to me, he took me to the campus police. They took me to the police department um, and ultimately went through this whole thing. I, I got a restraining order against the guy. And what ended up happening was that it was dismissed as like, I mean, he ended up having to do like a certain time in recovery meetings as well because he was really drunk when this happened and but the battery itself was dismissed even though I got the restraining order for a number of years 
Um, the reason I mention that is because like what happened is that there, it was not he said, she said. There were pictures of my physical injuries, but that's not the way. There are certain things, and I think it's shifting, right? The last few years, there has been a major shift with the Me Too movement, with recognizing things that happen to women that are not acceptable, right? Like, I think you'd probably agree. Like, there are just things you, even now I look back at some of the, like, sitcoms that I watched in, you know, the 90s or early 2000s, and I'm like, you could not say that on television today, right? right, right. <laughs> but, and, and the reason I say that is because women, while that may, like, not be some person coming into your physical, well, that's it is. It, it's like women get attacked and have those kind of things happen and are told you're not going to be believed, like you're weak, keep it to yourself. And so I do think that because like, yes, we're more emotional beings. A lot of that is because like we're not believed. Like it's it's a really huge truth in that there's scientific studies about this. Women do get like more autoimmune diseases and those kind of things. But chronic pain issues are so frequently dismissed autoimmune diseases take on average seven years to diagnose in women and it's because if you come in with pain like they're like i mean i can't tell you for years people were like you're just depressed you know and i'm going yeah i am depressed but that doesn't make me have a claw hand when i wake up in the morning because my hands are so stiff right and so uh, so i think that women have been sort of under these pressures, but they are different. Um, but it's just kind of how our society has evolved from like, and so in that sense, I do agree that there is like this genetic component that is probably worn into our DNA because of how long this has all been going on. Um, but I think like the idea that men just kind of like tough things out, um, more and are more capable of doing that than women. I think it's not, I don't think it's not true. I just think that um, the struggles of women have been undervalued or under, um, it's not been a, a huge priority or concern. Um, and so I do think like women internalize things a lot more, even though we might be more emotional outwardly and it's acceptable to be, we internalize a lot. You know, like I have, I cannot believe the number of people who since all this stuff started coming up the last few years have shared with me stories. I like a story of something that happened to me where I was assaulted years later after this incident. I didn't even know it was an assault until I started like talking about it. And I was like, oh, that wasn't my fault. Like, oh, because I was drunk at the time, like that didn't mean it was my fault, you know? And so it's just, it's just interesting. Like I, I just bring that up because I think men are definitely like, you know, you are told have this thing happen to you, use that to move forward if you can. But I do think that there is, I can't prove it. I'm not a scientist. I haven't done any studies about this, but like that there's gotta be a correlation with like, why do men die sooner than women? You know, like keeping all that shit in, not processing real physical things that happen. Cause you might, you know, you described that feeling of fear that you had with, um, you know, when you were a kid, like, that even though it might not feel like it's doing anything to you it's still there like because you you know you remember the last name you remember that experience and it so is a formative experience right and it might not affect you today but at some level it lives in your cells you know which is why you remember it yeah but i think that's important yeah 
I don't think I don't discredit that. I don't want that to not be there. I want that to be there because that's the thing that drives me to be a better fucking man. Yeah. Because if I didn't have that, I'd even be more of a fucking pussy. Yeah. You can choose to be more of a man or you can allow yourself to be a pussy. Mm -hmm. You choose. And I already live a cushy existence. So I'm on the spectrum of being more of a pussy. I have to fight Mm -hmm. like shit. To adopt more masculinity because I don't want that because my hardwiring says so. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say it's okay, be more of a pussy. Nope. It says be more masculine. That's what's infused in me to be more of that. I can't help that shit. It's not toxic. It just is. It just is. Like for my mom, it's in her to want to nurture her children, my, me as, as growing up, it's not something that she chose. It just is what it is. Like I have to take care of this thing because if I don't, he's going to die. So it's just something I cannot describe or rather parse out why I'm that way. It just is that way. And I have a fear of being the other way. It's it. And I think that's a good thing for the woman that might get involved with me. I don't think that woman's not going to want a protector or a strong leader to guide her and to guide the household. I do not think that she would want a man to just fucking subjugate himself at any particular point ever because that's just because he doesn't want to lay down his affirmative law or whatever he believes. Now, that being said, that's going to spark a lot of controversy with people. That's fine. It is what it is. And that is the that is the overarching theme that lives in me and lives in a lot of men. It's like it is what it is. And I've talked about it on other podcasts. It I just things are what they are. And I don't try to contort them differently. I just leave them where they are and I just go about my 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 walk, my day, etc. I'm not saying that that's optimal. That just is life. And so I accept that the way it is. I'm not saying that I want to. It just is. And so when I when I illustrate for another man like the way that I am, or rather this audience the way that I am, look, I'm not saying that's how you should be. That's just how I am. And I hope to find a woman one day that admires that quality. And if I don't, I guess I'll be single the rest of my life. But... I hope to have that one day. I know that there is a spectrum of femininity to masculinity. Understand that. I want to be, in terms of what my wiring calls me to be, I want to be like my father. I want to emulate my father to the umpteenth degree, knowing that I won't even come close to him, but I want to try. That's my fucking pinnacle. That's the pinnacle for me. And so... Growing up, you mentioned like environments growing up and that has a way of of obviously distorting or rather optimizing a person's, you know, I guess uh, cultivation or evolution. Look, my household, I was blessed to be to grow up in a really good household and I had a father that emulated a sense of entrepreneurship. I'm a firm believer in that. That's the only reason why I am an entrepreneur. Is because that's what I saw. And so naturally I want to live up 
to whatever my dad was because that is my only, only role model ever. No one else. And so when I look up to him, I think, well, that's what he, that's what I should do then. But if I saw my dad go to work for another person and bring home a paycheck and live paycheck to paycheck, well, I'm not above my dad. So I would do the same thing. I would have adopted a job and just did exactly what my dad did. It may have not been in the same line of work, but who am I to think I'm better than my father? And I'm going to outdo my father. Fuck no. If you respect your father, you do not think that way. And you'll forever believe that you'll never come close, even if you grow monetarily higher than him, either in funds or assets or or both. You still will always believe you're below him. Why? Because you put him on a pedestal. Why? Because he's your father and you respect him, period. Yeah, and you know, I want to make sure that I'm clear that I validate everything that you say. And I think your experience is yours and and... I think I overuse sometimes the word valid, but I think it's really important for me to recognize that I don't disagree with your experience because I can't disagree with anyone's experience or feelings, right? Because they're yours. Like, who am I to say you're wrong, you know? And so, but I think, um, you know, it's interesting because I did come from a family where my parents, um, who, you know, they're still married and 40 something years in. um, That's so cool. Which is really cool. And interestingly they're not going to listen to this so i can say some things um but like there are things about their relationship where like they both went to work every day right they hated their jobs they did the nine to five and you know they both came from uh, i won't get into it but both came from very poor families right very poor backgrounds so their idea of success which was drilled into me from when i was little is financial stability right like that's what matters that's all that matters work for the guy you hate, you know, do whatever, just, and to me, I did that. I tried, I tried to stay in that forever. And I still love and respect my parents, but I am not satisfied being somebody like fitting into that system that they were okay to fit into. Right. And I definitely don't think I'm better than them. I think that I'm different than them, you know, like, and so I, even though that's what I saw growing up, like, and, 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 you know, for a long time really tried to emulate at some point I, I saw in myself this divergence, right. Where I was like, I'm just not quite wired that same way. Right. And so they, they weren't entrepreneurs and, and that was, you know, why my dad said, why would you leave a job that pays good money, that does all this stuff? And I'm going, well, I don't want to kill myself. Like, that's, <laughs> that's why, dad. You know, like, and it's so, it's really interesting to see, um, to hear your perspective because, and especially like on the, you talked about like the masculinity st- scale and like wanting to be more masculine. And, and I think, um, I'm not going to lie, like I am a pretty... I'm a very progressive thinker, you know, like I, I'm probably more, um, more of that than some people are comfortable with, you know, like, but even that being said, like, would I want to be with someone? What, what was the, one of the biggest things that attracted me, me to my husband? He had a very, you know, he was very smart. He had a, he had a family previously. He had kids that were, you know, he had, raised and they liked him and I was like oh thank god if we ever have kids he knows what the fuck he's doing because I don't um but like you know he had what seemed like stability right and and that was very attractive to me and I think that 
there's nothing wrong with like wanting I don't think it makes me less of like a you know if you want to call it feminism or whether whatever to want to have a partner that you feel secure with right and like I've just realized for me that that sense of security and protection like there's so much more to it for me than just what we think of in the traditional sense of protection security safety and like one of those things is so I'm curious kind of when you talk about wanting to sort of guide a partner or you know have them kind of come along with your journey which I think is so important by the way like if you are whatever journey you're on if you've got a partner and that partner truly wants what's best for you and that's what they should want if they love you that's also going to involve like allowing you the freedom to change right and to evolve and to grow and like sometimes that might even evolve to the sense of like we don't even belong together anymore and if I truly love you that means if that's for your best expansion like you and you got to go like I'm going to love you through that it's going to suck and I'm going to be pissed at you probably but I'm going to love and accept that that's there but I'm I'm curious just in terms of like where do we get to a place where where there can be some balance between like it's very I love the security I love the sense of um you know, wanting to be a protector because frankly, what I've been seeking my whole life is safety, right? Because as children, we need to be seen, soothed, and safe. And if you didn't feel those things growing up, that's where a lot of that childhood stuff starts where you don't feel safe, you you know, so you're trying to impress people and it starts all these patterns as children. But like, where do you get to a place, um, or I guess I'm just curious how you would feel if you were with somebody who was like, you know, it's really important to talk things out and not just power through it. Like, can you can you find a place where there is a enough of a balance between what your partner might want or need and in terms of communication and and sort of delving into the emotional side of it? Um, like, can you see the value in that, like in a partnership as opposed to just being like, OK, well, She's on on board for the ride with me. How do I get on board, I guess, with for the with the ride for her? Because her road might be different than mine. You know, and like honoring that both are both are valid, both are important and in order like I just tried I'm trying to figure out like how how does it work when you have somebody like that you might just see things differently, right? We all see things differently. Like we're all individual people. I don't know if I what I'm getting at is just that like I like I support what your experience is and how you feel about you don't want to go to that softer side right like it's that it's you have been kind of driven to be more masculine more you know just get through it let it go you know move on I see this thing this bad thing's happening whatever like um how can I use that to propel myself forward like is there is there value do you think in also not seeing it as a weakness or being you know, as you said, like a pussy, you know, like to to actually incorporating that into your life, not to the, a degree that's uncomfortable, but to a degree that you can also like recognize that that might be important to the person that you're with, even if she's not saying it. You know what I mean? Because um, I am a strong personality, as you mentioned from the beginning, you know, like and I find um, it's funny you mentioned that at the start that um, you saw that I could be intimidating that's something I've been told my whole life and I've always been like why like I don't understand but I get it like I am a big personality like is there a way to kind of balance those things um or do you see any value in 
sort of not seeing it so much as like a weakness or um being you know being less masculine than you want to be but like really looking inward as to like where this is coming from like do you see value in that for you well that was the impetus behind this podcast okay so in this podcast i divulge therapeutically well that is sort of that is sort of aligned with what you're saying so i absolutely do see value in that in a relationship with a counter the female counterpart for me to i most certainly want to give her what she deserves and that i am more i am more apt to do that when she's in her full feminine because okay. at the end of the day this is a merge of a yin and a yang and you have to be the yin to my yang etc if you're not and i'm i'm sort of we're sort of mucking up the process in which we do things or rather you take on some of my masculinity and i take on some of your that's to me that's very muddy water and i'm not saying that it can't work i've never seen it work for anybody in my in my life and in, in real time but in terms of the way that i how I would best operate would be if the woman in is, is in her most feminine state because then I allows me to be in my most masculine state. And we know that that works in terms of a, a, the last, I don't know, 200 years or whenever marriage was, I don't know when it was, it was, it wasn't, that wasn't 200 years, probably a hundred years or something like that where marriage, I don't know though. You can fact check me, <laughs> but it was a short period of time the onset of marriage or rather the the uh, notion of marriage or in you know the, the, whatever the point is i would rather be with a feminine woman so that she allows me to be my masculine man and that's how we would merge i'm but what i do here i guess i'll talk out both sides of my mouth what i do here is sort of feminine in that regard because i'm in the personal development space which means everything under the umbrella of personal growth that's self-improvement, that's mental health, that's awareness, that's identification, etc. Well, all those things in the podcast, I divulge therapeutically. So that sort of is, that's a therapy session, whereas that would be coined by most masculine men, a feminine thing. So it definitely is something that I value and I'm more apt to give it to the woman and be that way just because that's naturally how I am. I mean, I'm not waiting this podcast. It's no different than I would be in real life. And that's in part a lot of what my business is centered around. It's not just tutorials on how to squat and lunge and deadlift. It's a lot more than that. It's personal at the end of the day. And, but with that being said, there has to be a hierarchy. In every relationship, there's a hierarchy. In every business, there's a hierarchy. There's not two CEOs. There's not two leaders in a business. There's not two leaders and there's not two leaders in anything ever. There's not two presidents. There's always a hierarchy. Whether you want to admit to that or concede to that or not, that exists. I don't make the rules. That's just the way life is. But oddly enough, that's how the chain of command works best. Or rather, that's how these things work best is through a chain of command. I have to be the head of the chain of command in my household. I have to be the leader. 
It's not to say that I do not, that I do not want the, uh, the, the, the ration or the, the, how would I say it? I don't want the valuable opinion from my wife because she's my wife. That's huge to me as well. That's my children's mother. That's the point of what one would be with for the rest of my life, etc. Like she's very valuable. She does get a say in this. But ultimately, she's got to lend me the stick and say, or the, the baton and say, look, I, even though I have my feelings in this, I trust you're going to make the best decision for the household. And that's what I need from my woman. And if that's what I gather from my woman, I will absolutely address anything that she'd like and talk with her and be with her for whatever she now i'm not saying that's contingent upon that i'm just saying that that would have to be ironed out before we even proceed to something very you know optimal like a not optimal but very um i don't know far in the in the relationships in the relationship um evolution as a marriage i'd have to know that up front i'd have to connect with her on that level that's the only way that I'm going to feel like I'm best equipped or rather I'm best uh, of utility for this woman as she is for me. So in that regard, it's definitely an amalgamation, but things need to have that things need to have that be an agreement before moving forward. And I guess you get there by playing circumstances out or playing these little, you know, problem solving in certain areas. And you know, as a man, you know, if a woman is going to be a counterpart, a viable counterpart to you, you know, you're constantly vetting women as a man, at least when you're my age, you are, you're not looking at them just a fuck anymore. You're looking at them as a viable prospect for marriage. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to want to lend my hand in marriage with this woman, rather ask her my hand in marriage. So those things are very tantamount to the to the actual onset of the ask in the first place. Well, I have to figure that shit out. You know, so but those things are important to me. And I, I absolutely would give her that I, I would want her. It's not just I give her, I'd want her to be that counterpart to me. You know, and that's what I saw in my parents' relationship. You know, ultimately, um I want my woman to trust me. Is what I'm trying. It's a long-winded way of saying I want her to trust me and to trust my leadership, my leadership skill. And if she can't, and she questions that, then I would I would go on a limb and say she likely doesn't respect me or admire me in the regard that I'd like her to, or the regard that I would know that would keep her there. She might now be more susceptible to cheat on me or go off in another direction towards another male. If she doesn't fully admire, respect, and trust me, then I don't think that I fully have her. I just don't. Yeah, I think, and I think that makes sense. I think um, when you say that like, you know, to be a, I think there are, what I'm, I guess I'm hearing two things, which is like the, the hierarchy part versus like being a good counterpart, right? And so do you, do you see the relationship like if somebody trusts you and does trust your leadership and all those things and you're so you're at that point that you can develop that is it is it necessary that it's a hierarchy rather than a partnership where it's like cuz i guess cuz i can see where if you have you know like 
I respected, loved, cherished my husband. And, you know, he, I loved having, I made decisions all damn day at work. Right. So like I, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you because it's always a hierarchy. It's, it's, it's a matter of who holds the highest position. There's always, let me give you an example. You come to a problem, a fork in the road. Well, ultimately somebody chooses where they go. Somebody, you're not just going to be both lukewarm on shit and then let it dissolve into nothing. You're going to have to make a move somewhere. So somebody holds the hierarchy position in everything in life, everything. So which one are you, male or female? Which one in your relationship holds the hierarchy? It always going to is going to exist. There's an on and off switch, a yin and yang. There's 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 sunlight. There's darkness. There's always that happening in life. So in the same in, in that same context, there's always going to be somebody that says this is where we go. This is the path we choose. You can't just be lukewarm, both parties on on everything on everything in life. You'll, you won't get anywhere. You'll stay stagnant and never evolve. Nothing will happen and you'll die. Because if you can't choose where to eat, you don't eat. <laughs> yeah. So there always yeah. says, there is a hierarchy to this. It's just that word has negative connotation attached to it. And it might trigger somebody when they hear it. Just like masculinity triggers people when they hear it because they don't understand it for everything that's encapsulated with masculinity. They think it's just like fucking tyrant. I do this, do that. I'm a fucking, I'm the tyrant. No, it's strength. That's it. And you want to be protected. You want to be safe and secure. You want me to go out and contest rather with the threat that's beckoning at the door front, right? You don't want it. You want to stay in bed. I want you to stay in bed. I willingly adopt that role. I don't want you because that would emasculate me. And that's how real men should feel. If they feel anything, they should feel like they're being emasculated if they allow their woman to go contest with the threat as opposed to them. That's really masculinity. And that's a fucking problem. You should not want that. You should want to do everything in your power to oppose that. So that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to illustrate. It's not that I'm against anyone or anything. It's that if I feel if I feel, but I don't feel, I just am a certain way, that's the way that I want to be. Because that's what's best suited for my wiring, my DNA, everything in me that says to be anything says be this and that if i was to be the opposite well i wouldn't be being me so there is a hierarchy however don't and i'm not saying just you people in general the triggering that's associated with that word because it has negative connotation because society or culture is kind of sort of highlighted it to have that don't allow it to have that that's just me saying that but there is a chain of command always or again take it back to the rudimentary illustration if you can't choose where to eat you just won't eat and you'll fucking starve (laughs) yeah and that i mean that makes sense to me i certainly you know i i like i said i made decisions all day long at work and i didn't have any problem like being like you pick you know like i don't want to do that but i i guess and the reason it probably is triggering maybe even to me is because 
hierarchy to me implies like somebody is going to always have the final say. And it's like, if I feel strongly about something, I want to know that my partner thinks what I believe and what's going on with me is just as valid as what they think, you know? And if those things diverge, like that there isn't like, we automatically, I guess I'm, I'm mo- mostly prone to wanting to find the compromise, right? Where it's like, so both people feel valued, you mm-hmm. know, like, and both people feel um, like, I don't feel like I'm shrinking myself into a box. And I do think that our history, this has been this way, the way you're describing has been this way, you know, back to Game of Thrones times, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, it, when women days. were property, you know, like, and women didn't have a voice. And I think it can be threatening in a sense to hear women say like, no, like I don't want to be property. I want to be equal in this situation. And so I guess like that's to me, like I did, I always worked for bosses who, you know, they had the the say and whatever. And now I want, it's one of the reasons I want to work for myself because I, I don't like being told what to do, you know, like, and I do think that there's a way to, Find a, find a balance, I guess, between those things. Well, you do like being told what to do. And let me illustrate why. You came to me for training. Yes. Never once did you question what I told you to do. No. Okay. Why? Because you trusted me. You trusted me in either my credentials, the way that I dispensed to you, anything that I divulged with. You trusted me full-fledged. Yes. Okay. That's the woman to her husband. In that regard, she will not question what ultimately his decision is because she trusts him a hundred thousand percent. Now, that's not to say that a good leader doesn't listen to his comrades. Jocko Willink, a great leader, right? Are you familiar with Jocko Willink? No. Okay, he's a former neighbor, Navy I'm SEAL. <laughs> former Navy SEAL. He's a badass. Very much a leader. Not only to just this, you know, in, in, in terms of the SEALs, but just in general for men, etc. He's a very good leader. Someone, if you don't have somebody that you look up to, he would be a good man to look up to. Now, he doesn't, he would not ever not listen to his comrades or his colleagues. Like if somebody said to him, Jocko said, look, this is what we're going to, we're going to infiltrate this unit by doing this, this, this. If somebody said to him, one of his comrades came up and said, Jock, but what do you think about this? Or like, uh, you know, and he thought it would might be a better plan. He's going to go along with that plan okay? because he listens to the good leader is always going to listen as well. It's not, like I said, it's not a fucking tyranny. Yeah. And that's not how a good leader should operate in a, in a, in a, in a tyrannical at, aspect. But you have, there's always a deciding factor to the, at the end of the day, at the end of the problem, equation, except anything you're trying to solve, there's got to be one way that you choose. And for that, there's always a top in the chain of command. It's just, if you value your partner, when it comes to the chain of command in a relationship, you're definitely going to take into account the woman and how she feels about it, etc. But being the man... And you operate with logic and not so much feeling. You have to be able to delineate which is which. And you have to be able to dispense in a very soft way to the woman, to your wife, to your other half, that this is the reason why we're going to do this instead. And make her feel at ease at that. 
there are multiple scenarios that we could put in place as to how that would go about. But ultimately, it's not shunning the partner. It's not silencing her. I don't believe in that. I do believe in, in approaching her in a soft way because that's how women will respond best to you in a soft and a soft with a soft approach. Not all women. Some people sure, some sure. people take it the other way. And I the I guess my question so I did come to you and I absolutely implicitly trusted what you asked me asked asked that's good English <laughs> asked me to do. Um and that was because of your expertise, right? Like and I knew that you knew what you were doing. You were in a space where you you just knew better than I did, right? So say like if you're in a situation where you're spouse like had a legal problem right like in that situation if we're speaking like you and i right i would be the one who has the absolutely the upper, you absolutely. know the more information yeah. right absolutely. so like in that situation it's like okay well who should be saying or not deciding but like who's got the the more information to incorporate here it's going to be the person who's the expert right in that absolutely. area and so I think like I think that to me I've always just tried to think of or I guess I've liked the idea of feeling like um partnership as opposed to what's what hierarchy sounds like and so I'm I'm just trying to kind of incorporate you know where you're coming from with also the idea of being a strong independent intelligent woman you know which i think you want those kind of things like as a partner right like that you'd want somebody who has a backbone and who's going to like you know be able to well and maybe i shouldn't say that like be able to challenge um I, my husband was irish catholic you know he was patrick timothy o'leary you can't get more irish than that and you know he he was in a marriage for 27 years before we were together and he had never um he was he was very much kind of the role you're describing um much more so than when he met me um and i had a lot of opinions <laughs> and a lot of you know things to say and we had somewhat of a challenge trying to find where all that fit together um because he was not used to anybody sort of pushing back and it but for me i think he saw it more as pushing back and to me it was not pushing back and saying you don't know what you're doing and i don't trust you it's saying let's look at this from all angles right like and and not just say okay i'm just gonna you know sort of tuck my tail and say you're right but like let's really have this conversation and that and let me lend my expertise my experience you know the way i view the world and and have that be just as valid and like is there room for compromise in that my husband and i were working on that you know like when he got sick unfortunately we didn't get to play that all the way out um but I think I think it's um, it's just interesting. It's like it's just a different take on um, like I love my my parents and like I said, they're still together. And um, I don't know that I necessarily know if my dad's the one in charge or not about certain things. I think ultimately he kind of was. But um, for me, like there's also not a lot of um, like affection between them there there isn't a lot of at least I didn't witness that growing up right and um and I don't know if some of that just there was sort of this like a power struggle and I think sometimes to me maybe in my head I see if there's somebody who's like in charge I naturally want to like rebel right and I want to be like I'm going to challenge that and so 
but that you can still have that interplay and that trust with each other um, where like you trust your partner just as much as she trusts you. And like, so in that sense, like if she says something, does something and, and it, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm not getting to the point of what I'm trying to say, but it's, um, it's going to be, you know, and I, and I know I could go on with this forever. You're gonna have to have a part two with me, but, um, I, I think that for me, I do like feeling protected. I do like all those things. And at the same time, I think that I've borne a lot of life experience, a lot of a lot of things that people my age, which is not much older than you, let's not forget this is less than a year apart, okay? He's he's not that much my junior. Um, <laughs> but that a lot of people my age have not experienced, right? And so I think that I have a lot to contribute, right? And so I guess that's my my concern is anything that suggests that I'm not an equal partner. Um, to me, it just it it grates me, you know, like because I always I think I deserve that, you know, like I think I've earned having the respect enough of my partner as well that like everything I say is just as important, you know, like, and, and not to say that's not what you're saying. Um, I'm probably just triggered by the word hierarchy. (laughs) Well, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, like at the end of the day, man, you and I are friends and there's nothing that's going to change that. So a trigger or not, like, I don't, it doesn't matter. And like, I know that your, I know that that doesn't, that's, that's, that doesn't make enough impact on you, hold enough impact on you to, to change our status as a friendship. But the fact is, like the whether we want to admit to it or not hierarchy exists in everywhere we we turn in life like everywhere so to say that it's different in relationships is sort of odd right yeah i, I and i see that i think that there is absolutely a hierarchy and i think that's part of what the challenge for me has been as a as a person who's become more and more aware of uh, just so many power imbalances in the world and our systems and the way things are set up um, is that yes there are hierarchies and sometimes they're useful but sometimes they're not you know like and and sometimes not to say that they're not valid but like w- do we get to a point where we can reconsider like is this the right thing and this is about everything not just a relationship dynamic is this we're following this just because it's always been this way but can we question is this the best way and it might for me i'm the type of person it might ultimately come back to it is the best way but i have to i'm an experiential person i won't believe something just because i hear it you know and so i have to like do that research myself and find back and i might come back to the exact same conclusion and be like totally you know like but i have to for me i have to find a way i just i love hearing other what can seem like a really different opinion, but then like sort of picking out those parts and going, well, really, maybe we're not that far off. It's just like the words that we're using may seem more different than they are, you know, like, and um, I don't know. I just find, I find challenging. I like to challenge the norm, you know, like there's a reason I have purple hair and just got a second nose piercing yesterday, you know, well, like, <laughs> 
And I think it's also it's also Lindsay's hand is the reason why you wanted to immerse yourself in being a lawyer. Yes. So whatever wiring you have that's innate to you and supercharge the avenue of being a lawyer and being essentially contentious for a job, that's that's whatever, you know, whatever caused you to want to do that is whatever caused you want to do that. Like, but that's not the norm for most females. You understand that, right? Like if there's a spectrum here, you're on the masculine edge of the spectrum because you're wanting to be that independent, disagreeable, combative, competitive woman. That makes me sound terrible. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. But here's, but that, but that's reality. And that's how you're, that's how you're viewed in reality to another man. So as an, as a man, this is a man's perspective here. Okay. This is it. This is just a man's perspective. I, as a man know that about you and I can, I can, I can essentially come to that conclusion very definitively mm-hmm. because it's what your job is. I mean, that's what's uh, that's what's encapsulating your job is to be those things or else you're going to be a shitty lawyer. So being that as it is, I have to understand that as a realization to your personality, your your hardwiring, your character, etc. That's just the way it is. Whatever caused you to want to go down that avenue is the same reason that causes men to want to be gamers. I'm not talking down on, on being disparaging towards gamers and just... It is, it's not necessarily a very masculine adopted role to accrue money, but you're, cause you're really not, you're making money by default. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. You want to make money by default by doing what you love to do and what you're great at. It just goes to, it just so happens that you're playing video games, which is analogous to what you did when you were fucking eight. Mm -hmm. You just didn't grow out of it. Luckily. You became elite at it, and there's an, a whole demographic that's oriented around gaming to where now you can make money on that. But, you know, 15 years ago, 20, whatever, I don't think that was the case, or at least in the 90s for sure. Yeah. And anything beyond that. Now, you and you mentioned, like, is this, you're open to the idea that it might be wrong the way we deal with it currently, and it may be that the way we dealt with it previously was the better way. And look, I often think that because we live in a so so we we live in this environment that's so advanced in terms of tech and progressive like things might definitely be awakening to us like where oh we didn't think of it like that maybe that's maybe that's factual you know or maybe that's maybe there's some truth to that etc there may be truth to it but is it true that's a whole different story and that's a whole different uh you know podcast but the fact is, things were still bad when, let's say, Obama was in. Things were still bad when, let's say, Bill Clinton was in. But was it to the level that it is now? No. So it's like maybe perhaps we're, we're evolved to the point where we're too big for our britches or where we don't really understand how this thing should play out. We really should have kept more conservative back then because that shit kind of worked in our favor perhaps and it's it, there, look there's things that it might not work for things that it does work for yeah no i and i i definitely see that i think you know some of the really extreme stuff that's going on these days is 
that when you get that swing towards something that is challenging the norm, you also get an equal or stronger swing to keep things the same. And so like, while, you know, there are certain, I'm trying to not get political because I'll go on a soapbox about that, but like, there are things that like in the past were not socially acceptable to say, right? Like, and and I think those things were good. So like in, in that sense, I do wish that things were sort of still that way and people weren't emboldened to um, sort of infringe on people's rights in the way that they do now. Um, but I think like, I I definitely am open to the idea of like allowing I just want I just want everybody's opinion to to matter. I want everyone to and and the truth is it doesn't. Like that's not the way our society works. And but there's that inner part of me that wants it to be that way. And as a lawyer, there are a million reasons that we don't have time to get into about how I ended up going down that path. But do I have a certain talent for I'm a good lawyer, right? I I am very logical. That's like how I was trained, right? Um I am able to see point, counterpoint, come up with things on the fly, all those things. Um, but it's interesting because as much as I'm very good at it, I think it contributed me to me getting sick, right? Because I ended up, I was fighting all the time. And so I'm trying to, I'm struggling at this place where I've always been a fighter. I'm always pushing the envelope. And some of that is really good, right? Because it, it, it got me a scholarship to college. It got me all these things and, you know, doing as well as I have in my life. And it has also gotten me to a place where at the end of the day, it, it, it just messed with my system left, right, and center. And so I'm trying to find the place of how can I be peaceful and also be strong? You know, like how, how do I do both of those things at the same time? And, and for me, being strong and looking at like, uh, I think probably the, one of the biggest things I've learned from the experiences of the traumas I've been through is that there are certain, and I, I mean, everyone knows this, this is not a revelation, but like there are check the box things that we are quote unquote supposed to accomplish in our lives. There are the milestone markers for, you know, you must get married, have children, you know, buy the house, do the things, right? And nothing is wrong with any of those things if that's what you really want. But I don't think that we are we are taught to really look for what we want. Like, is that what we really want? Or are we, as I mentioned briefly before we started, like, is that box that we have been told to lay in a coffin? You know, is that just something that's really not who I am? Like, I think all these skills that I have as a lawyer like make me a good lawyer doesn't mean that's what I should be doing. But do I think all of those skills are going to serve me in whatever is next? Yes. I don't know what that looks like yet. Do I know that it involves writing a book? Yes. Do I know that it involves, you know, sharing my experience on a wider scale than my Instagram? You know, like, yes. And all of those things like can come together in a way that like, you know, we're moving forward and, and I'm using all those experiences for something better. Um, but I just, I just like, it's, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the fighter in me. It's like, I hear, you know, I hear certain things and I go, Hmm, like, what was that you just said? And, and, but I think everything you've said is totally valid, you know, like, and it's just a different side of an argument, I guess. How often do you speak to men 
not okay. much. Which is the reason why these things are sort of triggering for you probably. Now, the way that you, what you illustrate about yourself is it's no reason why you have contention with some of the things that I'm saying. Because most women are not logical. Most women are not combative. Most women are not disagreeable. And those are all character traits that define you as a good lawyer, like I just mentioned. So it's no wonder why you have this sort of friendly contention with me. Because what I'm saying is telling you, I'm basically illustrating what a man is and you're like, but when I'm a, I'm a female and this is the way I operate because most females do not operate that way. I'm talking in generalities here, not the anomalies, outliers, etc. For those that are listening, they may be an outlier. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the fucking general populace. Most women just want to get married and have kids and be stay-at-home moms. That doesn't fit well with you because there is something inside of you that calls you to be different, better than, not better rather, because that's putting a, a, a pejorative on the women that are just at home and that's not because that's a hard fucking that's job. the hardest job ever. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you want, I guess, different things in life. So who am I or any man to say that's not the way to be? It's not. It's the way you want to be. And I fully, um, what's the word? Um, I fully ex uh, accept that and not just accept it. Like I fully like it and it. I'm losing my fucking train of thought. Support. <laughs> support. Yeah. But more than support. Like, I, I totally agree that that's the way you should be. Like, but that's only fitting to certain males. And you've experienced that yes. in real life. Mm -hmm. Going on dates, etc. Like, the some the few dates that you have been on, I'm sure, because you're not really that much, unless you've changed. I remember no. you talking to me about your dates and when we, we were training together. I went through together. a brief and wildly unsuccessful <laughs> right. period of dating several years ago well, and have not looked back. <laughs> you know, you you and I like, but I don't date. So <laughs> I've been on one date in the last like, it doesn't matter. So oh, I got you there. <laughs> you know, I got you there. So it's like, I it, it's no wonder to me why these things are, are, you know, sort of uh, extracting themselves from the conversation. Yeah. It makes sense. But most, most of the women that are listening or maybe not listening, but in life are not going to think that way. And so, you know, you're definitely an outlier in that regard. And so what comes along with being an outlier is you having a specific narrative that you push and that's what you believe. Um, and, People like me, like to you, like you and I, our, our friendship, our affiliation, I'll never look down upon that. Even if it's not what I agree with for my wife. Right. It's something that I respect in you because I respect the human being that is Lisa. I always have and always will. You didn't think that I already identified these things when I started training you very early on. No, like, absolutely, does. but I'm an open book, right? Well, it's <laughs> People not kind of can recognize what personality I have pretty, pretty well, quickly. Well, the personality, but then the behaviors and the sort of the, the, the sort of the, the navigation that comes along with the, with the wiring. So, but again, and that's why I say it in the beginning, like is I wasn't, I wasn't trying to date you. So these things didn't hold much weight with me. 
because I and it really gave me the 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 ability to just see you for you and not be jaded by any sort of thing that wasn't aligning with my beliefs or my set of uh you know uh I guess beliefs for lack of a better word yeah no I I, I get that and I think um I appreciate that like and and to be honest as a person who um I think a lot of I guess here's the thing and, and you're right I believe 110 percent I don't believe I know I'm an outlier not just as a woman as a human being right like I have I'm called to do different things in this life than a lot of people are you know and and again I have no fucking clue what that ends up looking like and right now it's cool because I'm like I don't know we'll see we'll try tomorrow see how I feel tomorrow you know which the is the same boat yeah the which same is fucking boat it, and it can be difficult but it's also that's where you know that faith of like well I have faith in the fact that I don't know shit so I'm gonna just keep going um but I do think that there are a lot of people I thought I wanted all those check the boxes things and the and I it wasn't until I lost everything um, and I started getting stripped away of, you know, my job, my health, my independence, like all these things that I had to like really look at. Are those the things that I want? You know, like, do I want this cookie cutter, not cookie cutter, because that's again, that's I don't want to be insulting to people who choose that lifestyle. But I don't think a lot of people question it. You know, I don't think that there are a lot of people who go, you know, who are with their college boyfriend and they're like oh, well, let me really think about, is this the path I want to go down? It's like, no, this is just what we do. Like this is, and and there's nothing wrong with tradition. And with, there are plenty of people who are happy doing it. But I also know I have so many friends that are in those types of relationships that have sort of just evolved naturally along the spectrum of, or the, the road of this is what we do. And I don't hear much about anything other than like, yelling about their husbands and you know and people who are just unhappy or who become like roommates with each other as opposed to like you know because it takes work to keep up a real like romantic partnership especially once kids are involved and I'm not going to pretend to be a kid expert because disclosure I do not have children my husband died when I was 30 and you know I things just didn't work out that way but I ain't you know science may call me geriatric at this point like a geri they say any pregnancy post 35 you're a geriatric pregnancy and that's fucking rude and I wish they would change that but I don't think a lot of people just question it and I guess and I think a lot of people it's the same way those people who can get along working the job they don't like just you know put your head down and I think that that has been seen as much more valued in society just because that means that's what makes you a hard worker like to have just to go to work do the thing whatever Whereas the last, you know, this time that I haven't been able to work, it's the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And I'm not getting a paycheck because I am looking every day at who am I, who I am, what is important to me, what is underneath all this shit? Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to make me the best version of myself. So if a person comes into my life that fits into my life and it makes sense, like, I'm going to be the best partner in the world for them. You know, like they're going to be so fucking lucky that I've been through all this shit already because I can I can have a disagreement or, you know, whatever without taking everything personally and realizing that like, oh, somebody I didn't know that my husband and I could 
have um i didn't think he was he, this is the thing we would fight he used to tell me stop deposing me right and and i would be like because i would just be like you have to agree with me i didn't know that i thought if he didn't come around to agreeing with me i thought that meant he didn't hear me because i was so set in how i thought it was the only way that could possibly make sense so if you haven't changed your mind to come along with me you're not listening to me you know like and that is a whole other thing but like realizing like oh okay that's not how things work and you know I, I just like to think that with all of this you know barrage of shit that's been going on for years now um I think it's most people who would be in my position right now would feel like the biggest failure Right. And I have moments where I feel that way because I don't check those boxes and I'm still human and I live in a society that values those things and they're not invaluable. Right. But the fact that I can look at those circumstances and say. This is just what life has handed to me. I'm not going to try to find the bigger existential meaning right now. I'm just going to accept that this is what's happening and how do I within all of that within all the chaos and losing everything it's i mean it's a pretty spectacular way to level your ego to lose everything um how do i become like the best version of myself so that i can i can go into the world and i can influence people to look at that stuff to to be able to say the worst part of going through the experiences i've been through is i felt really alone right really alone i didn't feel understood and a lot of times i still don't because i am a different breed of human you know <laughs> um but it's it's at the end of the day like i can go if i can go into all these experiences and have all these things happen and still say i'm still okay you know i'm good with who i am as a person even if i don't have the things that's quote unquote you know to, to that are supposedly the most important if i have peace of mind and i can look at you and regardless of whatever my intention might be with you with anybody else and i can say i will listen to you i will hear you i will respect you and validate you even if we don't agree like or even if we just have different perspectives like what a gift that has been in all of this you know like i am trained to fight for a living like i am good at fighting with people you know like this is this is something that is good for me but what i want in my life is peace and if i fight all the time i'm not going to have it i love being able to hear you and even i hope it's not come off at all as um defensive or aggressive or whatever because i have appreciated everything you've said and i can take it in and say this isn't personal about me you know like this isn't about anything this is about who you are what you've cultivated in your life as important what your values are and they're no less valid than mine you know like and what can i learn from you in your perspective even if it looks a little bit different and so i just think that's something that's really lacking today because we've become so polarized in as people you know like that we're on this side or this side and there's nothing in between like I still have a desire to want to understand people because, I mean, how else am I going to become the highest version of myself than if I understand and accept people who are different than me, you know, or who see things differently? And I do, um, yeah, dating, not, not an easy thing. And I've come to the conclusion, like, 
you know, people joke about, you know, that that saying like, I went on this trip and all I got was this stupid T-shirt. I want to say like, I went on Bumble and all I got was this stupid restraining order because we're <laughs> crazy freaking dude. Whatever story for another day. But like, I've I'm so glad to be in a place now that I don't need someone to tell me I'm okay. Like, I don't need someone to to validate who I am and to to say I'm lovable, right? Because I know I'm lovable. I know I'm a fucking catch, even if I scare the shit out of people, probably because I scare the shit out of people and I like to challenge people, right? But I'm not for everybody. And I'm okay with that today. And I wasn't okay with that before. So, I mean, as much as I don't want to try it in a bow because I'm still in the shit storm, um, I will say that all of these experiences and going through all of this and having to tear down every belief system that I ever had um, and rebuild it and look at it and say, what do I really believe? Like, I'm able to now do that, listen to you. Like, and if somebody came along, like I said, who, first of all, I met like naturally like a human, not just on <laughs> some app, no shade to the apps, but you know, past experience, not the greatest. Um, I love the fact that like I could be single for the rest of my life. Is it what I want? Not really, because I think I'm a really good partner, you know, and I've done a lot of work to be a really good partner. But if that's the way, like the shit goes down and I can have way more influence and help more people by staying true to who I am instead of compromising it, then that's where we're at, you know? And I would have never been able to do that before. I'd still, if my husband hadn't died, I'd still be point wanting my life away at a job I hated, compromising my values because I'd say, well, but I'm getting this external love and validation from my husband and I'm getting accolades at work. All those things are good, right? Like we want to have those, but I want to be okay without those. And I had to learn how to be okay without those or I'd be dead. Like that's the end of the day. I can't live in a, in a world where I'm just, you know, I'm not enough. I had to figure out how to be enough without, without any regard to my job, to my relationship status, to my stuff, to my car, like whatever, you know, like at the end of the day, none of that shit matters because it can change any day. People don't want to hear that. They want to think that it's not going to happen to them. My husband woke up in the middle of the night after being fine the day before, had a seizure, 10 months later he was dead, you know, and that is the kind of thing that can't you can't not change as a person from that and I wish people could see that like just having that compassion for other human beings whatever they believe like even if it's in harsh you know I don't have to invite them into my life if it's like super uh, divergent from what I believe in my belief systems and stuff but I can have compassion for that person because I don't know what they're going through you know like I don't know what's happening to them and just I don't know I just I feel like I've learned to give not only myself grace but to try to give grace to other people to be who they are you know and I don't have to like it but I have to accept that they're human beings and they're entitled to be whatever they're going to be and you know I will own being intimidating or whatever it is like for the rest of my life I used to hate that word because I'd be like why you know but because it seemed like such a negative thing but I love that you and I can talk like this and you we can have a spirited discussion about things that might look different 
like and like I said before I'm you know now I'm repeating myself but just that um that ultimately I don't think they're that far off they just sound different like based on the way we've categorized things and I just tend to like to pick things apart that's a that makes a good lawyer too but it also makes a really good writer you know like and it makes a good speaker it makes a lot of things and if I had anything to leave people with the biggest and not just for women for men too but women in particular have been taught to be small like play small you know don't take up too much space it's like why is there such a huge focus on weight right with women and why I had a eating disorder when I was 19 years old and almost died from blowing out my esophagus um from bulimia like we've been taught to don't make too many waves don't you know don't test the waters don't be disagreeable don't be the bitch right like and at the end of the day I just want to be I want to be the best version of myself whether it makes people uncomfortable or not because one of the things I've heard recently that I really like is that like the thing that people tell you you're too much of is probably the thing that's going to be the key to your success because it's the most who you are I agree you know does that make sense 100% yeah you're like I'm exhausted no I'm not no I I just (laughs) I'm just listening and I and yeah absolutely it makes sense and that's a thing that people will try to dismay you from uh because you don't fit in their box yeah and um so that's that has obviously some practicality attached to it you know in terms of the way you navigate your life and how you should operate and what metrics you should operate off of you know um so yeah i mean for sure but at the same time if we're talking about the relationship thing is something obviously different conversation you know and the reality is if you want to have the ultimate counterpart you have to learn the ultimate counterpart and how to attract them and what they value so it's not about just you or what you value it's about what they value what qualities they look for and oftentimes when a, the woman looks for the man they don't look for average men they look for higher value higher earning men and those men are rare and those men aren't willing to keep up with a competitive disagreeable combative woman they're just not going to they'll go to a more coachable younger woman Mm -hmm. that's impressionable right and that rather is okay or just wants the mother and the the motherly duties and the and the and the keeping of the household etc because really that man doesn't care about what that woman brings to the table apart from her ability to be feminine. Like that's it. That's the only measure that a man grades a woman off of. How feminine are you? And the higher the value of the man, the more the more stringent that grading scale becomes because he has options. So when you look at it from that avenue, a man that has options because he's created himself to be in the top 3% of all males. He doesn't have to put up with that shit and he doesn't want to. And that's only going to make for a more chaotic life, which is not what he signed up for, which is what he, which is the actual in opposition, what he wants, which is peace. So he's not going to adopt a woman or subscribe to that type of a, of a, of a, of a feminine woman. 
Now, a average man doesn't have the option. He just has to take whatever the fuck he can get. So in that regard, he'll go for a woman that could put him in line because he can't even put himself in line. And it's, and it's all so evident in what he's not created for his life. The lack of ambition, the requisite discipline that needed to be there to cultivate something more than a 50,000 somewhat per year male is only what he's created. Therefore, he doesn't have options. So the women that are knocking at his door, which is probably one or two, and these are women he's probably vetted at the same time, he knows that these are his only candidates because he's competing, which is what males do, with all these other billy goats. And they all got fucking massive horns and they're at the top of the bluff and they got all the fucking options. He's down there because he hasn't acquiesced to what it takes to create himself to be a better, more competitive, dominant male, which is exactly what it means to be a male. It's a competition to the top. Do you think that, um, I guess, because I don't want to mishear you, like, because I personally would not be interested in I just like I'm a strong, strong personality. I need somebody who's going to challenge me too, right? Like I don't want somebody who's just going to let me steamroll them. That is boring and unattractive to me. And I just doesn't work for me. Listen, so that is not the only man available to me. But listen, that's what you're (laughs) attracting and that's what you will continue to attract because disparity attracts similarities do not. But my husband just to just to bring it yeah. back to that, he was a very strong guy. He he was very you know high earner, you know worked for. He could sell anything to anyone, and which so, is the reason why he got you, right? Because you were young, feminine, pure. But I wasn't. I was the same challenging, independent-minded, you know, that I am. And like I said, it was hard for him to adjust to that. But he that attracted him to me. He liked that about me until I was his. And then he was like, wow, you're difficult. But <laughs> Right, right. Okay. But the main thing that attracted him to you was your beauty and youth, which is the reason why he swept you up, which is the reason why he can, because he was a higher earning, higher valued male. If he was... Mm, if he was your age or three years, only three years older than you, which we know that women date up more than that. If he was only three years older than you, only made at or about 5,000 more a year than you and still came with the same personality, he wouldn't be able to get you. At that time in my life, I think that's true. I don't know that that's true now because I value things differently than I did before. Um, okay, but you're essentially creating the man in yourself that you want and the actuality of how this plays out in real life is it doesn't it doesn't play out in real life in your favor only because a man of the status that you're accruing for yourself is not going to take you seriously apart from sex are you i i am rarely at a loss for words um you, so you don't you don't think that men are like attracted to somebody who's 
got a lot of emotional and uh, and intellectual wisdom and who has, you know, I mean, I'm just like, I am not going. Listen. Are you just condemning me to be a fucking spinster? Is Listen. that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> if I continue to try to evolve that, I'm just going to okay listen yeah, no. i love you mm. i really do mm. and even in our contention i still fucking love you dude like there's still so much love in terms of the frequency generated between you and i at least i feel it on my end and that's no bullshit but if this were to play out in real life i'm not saying all men i'm saying that in generalities here most men are not going to put up with it because they don't need to if they're in the position of the man that you're looking for unless you're looking for a you're able to a you know acquiesce to a male that's average and doesn't have the options he's going to likely subjugate himself in order to be with you however you don't like that so that's not going to last either so one of these people has to change. Yeah, it's not going to be me. I'm just kidding. Okay, but, but here's the thing. If that's, you're talking to a male and he's telling you what males look for. Now, this is the general populace of right. males. It's not everybody. Right. And he's telling you that. And if that's something that you deem important to your life and, and in fact an imperative to live off of, well then you would automatically think or rethink your situation. But if it's not that important to you, being married, having children, etc., then yes, you steamroll right over it because who the fuck cares anyway? Because that's not really important to you. Anything you focus on is by extension important to you. Okay, so if you're not focusing on it, then it's just not that important to you. I had a gentleman on here who was um, awesome at fucking producing music, all that 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 rave music and shit. He's very talented at it. Has yet to do it for like, I don't know, for a long time. He just has put a hold on it because of other things that have gone on in his life, etc. Working basic jobs to just get by, meet ins, you know, meet the requirement to pay his bills, etc. But hasn't put time into that, although he has the time. To me, I don't understand that. Even though it's important to him and he says it is, I say it's not. Because if it were, you'd carve out time off the rip. You wouldn't negotiate with yourself, etc. So if these things are important to you, and you, it is important to find a higher earning man, but it's still important for you to keep your posture then you may have to rethink your direction in life in regards to the male counterpart. If it's not important, don't rethink it and keep doing the way you're doing. You being the female that you are, you could easily be a multimillionaire, easily. And you wouldn't I'll need a man. There. Yeah. <laughs> but most women are not you. Yeah. So there's a, there's, I guess that's the saving grace behind all this. You're a one of a kind and you're so unique in your, your, your direction, your navigation in life and how you think and how you are logical and, and also the, the entire ensemble of personality that you bring to the table. So it's not like it's death for you. 
You know what I mean? If you don't meet the man, it's not death for you because I do believe that you are the type of caliber of woman that could be a multimillionaire easily. Which brings me to the point of you writing a book. When are you going to start that shit? I, I, you know, to be honest, I, I'd like to say I was dreading this part, but I was hoping you'd bring it up because it's going to call me to the table. And that's why the background of how we joked about me being on the podcast was because you put up a clip of something and it was, you know, like you have to work at your shit every day. You have to, you know, all this stuff. And I was just like, God damn it. You know, like that's what I'll respond. I'll be like, damn it, Justin, do you really need a, I know, but do you have to say it all the time? And I, I responded to one of his stories and said, I, I can't believe you still haven't had the most interesting woman you know on, <laughs> on your podcast or person. I didn't true. specify women. Um, but okay, let's not stall on talking about why I haven't done it. The truth is, um, it's some of it has been health stuff. It's um, a lot of the issues that I have that I won't get into. Um, there are neurological things that have, um, it's, whether it's side effects of medication for these various conditions or otherwise, um, you know, I have issues with uh, double vision sometimes. I, sometimes it's just hard. My mind feels very cloudy. I don't feel like I can get out what I need to get out. But I'm getting past the worst of that I feel like right now. And what it comes down to is fear. And it's not just fear of failure because that's that's there. You know, like what if I write a book and it's not well received or what if I only have one book in me? How can I be an author? I mean, shit, we've talked for how long now? We're pretty sure I don't have one book in me, right? But like there's also a fear of success because that which might sound ridiculous because it is ultimately what I want to have. But what I'm used to is living as a person who's restless, irritable, and discontented, right? And I'm a person who is used to being in chaos, who is used to surviving and pushing through and living in fight or flight mode, right? I don't know what it feels like to live in peace, you know? Like, I don't know, like, what it feels like to have a dream, put it out there, and it works. Like, and even though that's what I want, it's unfamiliar, right? Like I'm not used to living like that. And so there have been times in the last few months where I thought I was in a deep depression because I felt like I was feeling apathetic about everything. I just didn't have strong reactions to things. And I was like, I was talking to my therapist. She's like, that's peace, Lisa. Like that's acceptance of where, you know, things are. It's not just that you're depressed or you're apathetic. It's just peace. And I'm learning to understand what that's like as well. And and um, I'm a perfectionist. I don't like putting things out that aren't perfect and, you know, whatever. And and I think I just have a lot of, there's just a lot of stuff around it. It's that fear of what if after all this, I go through all of this, I do the thing that I know that I'm meant to do because, I mean, I'm not tooting my own horn, but you've read my stuff. I'm, I'm a good writer. There are a lot of things that I might have you know insecurities about my life my ability to communicate in writing is not one of them um I know that I'm good at that and it just comes down to sit down do it every day and unless like there's a reason physically I cannot you know and um I set all these things in front of it but I got to do this first I got to do this first and what if I you know just all this stuff it's, it's it's excuses and it's fear 
you know but that shit ain't gonna get written if I don't write you have a computer I do just alright so if you have a computer write a fucking page a day And just do a page a day and that's it. You can write a page a day. Oh, yes. Okay. So let's say you're sick one day and you're bedridden. You can't get to your computer. Okay. But if you're coherent and you're walking and you're walking from your room to the other room where the computer is, wherever it is in the house, you owe it to yourself to write a page a day. That's not even a year your book is done. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's going to take more than a year to get your book done. And your first book might be shit. My first podcast was shit. And my second podcast was shit. And further, I mean, I'm going to have shit podcasts all the way up into the fucking five, six, seven hundreds, I'm sure. But the point is, not this one, (laughs) but the point is that I'm not stopping, even if it doesn't bode in my favor or even if I don't see the ROI on it yet or even if I have contention with something or some 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 person I'm talking to or some illustration that I'm just soloing about that doesn't isn't well received on the other end like there's always going to be loud voices always but the most loudest voice that you're going to have is your own saying you're a fucking failure because you didn't even start. I know. At least somebody started, finished it, and then fucking failed. But you didn't even start. And the problem is you're well able. That's the horrific part of this is you're a well able, very coherent, very logical human being that could easily put words to fucking paper. And if you just parsed it out one page a day or let's say less than a page, let's say 340 characters, 350 characters a day. That's nothing for someone of your intellect. So for you to pass on that only tells me it's a pipe dream right now, which I'm okay with having dreams, not pipe dreams. Cause I correlate a pipe dream to it. Never fucking happening. It never unfolding and it never becoming a reality. That's a pipe dream to me. I don't know the exact definition, but that's how I illustrate it in my own head. That is not this. This is a massive reality. And here's the thing too. You're just looking at it from the selfish perspective of you. You're not looking at it from the other perspective of the people that it could help and possibly save the lives of. So when you put that type of connotation on it, well, it takes on a whole new fucking meaning. You're right. And that's the principle of my recovery and my sobriety is about service to other people right and like what do I thrive most in right now and have been for years it's the advocacy work I do because it helps people it's the one-on-one conversations I have with people who've been recently bereaved from glioblastoma you know it's it's those kind of things and and what brings that meaning is because I can help them right I have experience that can help them and it is not a pipe dream but it is something I mean this is why I continue to listen to you Justin like as much as we might have you know, our our theoretical debates about things or whatever. At the end of the day, I respect you because you've always, since I met you, since day one, we have talked about this. We've talked about, you know, you stick with it and that you and I both know we're meant for bigger things that we might than we might have been doing at the time and we both still are. But you're doing this, right? Like and and I believe I give myself the grace and compassion of my health stuff is not a joke. It's been very difficult. And, you know, like I'm still in the process of dealing with a million different issues with that. But is it too much that I can't do anything? 
No. I showed that to myself a few years ago when I started my blog to begin with, which, you know, was surrendertolive.com. Um, you know, I, I showed myself that I can do that. You know, like that's why I started the blog was to start practicing writing and seeing if I, what I could come, come up with. And I still to this day continually send those articles to people, you know, like those posts that I did because they're relevant and they're helpful. You know, like one of, I think the most popular one that's been actually published a couple times is called The Truth About Grief. And it's like, here's my experience with what I was told grief was going to be. And here's the fucking truth, you know, of my experience. And, and you're right. Like if I look at this from the perspective of this is not just about me and what is going to be successful. Am I going to be fear of, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And I think of what am I holding back from contributing to the world, which ultimately that's all I've ever wanted to do. I became a lawyer because I wanted to help people, you know, it's not ultimately what I think my law experience is going to be used for, but it got me to the point that I learned how to communicate. I learned how to write. I learned how to argue. I learned all those things and how to have a job where literally your job is fighting and you have to do it in a kind and polite way and learn to listen. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I hear you. And this is, again, this is why I still follow you, listen to you, like in what you're talking about, because I, you tell me the truth of what I need to hear. And even if I don't like it and I want to, you know, give my excuses why, you know, why it hasn't happened yet. Um, there have been reasons they've there have been valid things and there have also been a lot of things that aren't valid. No, I know that. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with you that those things take a front seat in in regards to putting off certain things because you can't help it because you're not your 100 percent self, etc. I also believe that because you haven't had a certain somebody or certain people tell you that it's caused you to become complacent in what otherwise is your lack of contribution. And I'd argue that your contribution to people is going to be the thing that's going to save you. That's going to be the thing that's going to actually recover you and rectify you because the, the, the onset of knowing that you're helping others and once the book is published and that's going to be a, a very arduous process. But once it's happened and once you get those that that mail coming in from people that have read your literature and identified with it and related to it and it became so penetrable to them that they apply their life and they are now better and you actually saved their life. You can't put a coin on that type of feeling when it's said to you. And most people will go their entire existence and never hear once you saved my life. So that's an absolute honor. It's the highest honor that you can give anybody. And that is waiting in the pages that you haven't yet written. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. And I know that because of the things that I have written and shared with people, I can't tell you how many people have reached out and have talked to me and say, you know, just how eloquent you are, how, how well you express yourself. Like I, I feel what you're saying, you know, the words you write, I can feel it in my bones. And, and I do think that all of that is there, you know, it's there for me to capitalize on. There's a reason I have these skills and these strengths. Um, and I do think that there is, I mean, there is, there's work to be done and I need to, the putting the thing on the page, doing the work, that's where, that's where I'm at, you know, like, and I have, um, I don't think 
even you, this conversation is going to be what starts me doing it because I don't like people telling me I'm being complacent with anything and, um, <laughs> you know, and that there's more that I can be contributing because it is true. I've, I've helped a lot of people in my life and those are the most valuable moments I've had. And I know that's what I've been, was put here on my, this earth to do. It's just like taking care of my husband was the greatest honor of my life, you know, and it was because I was of service to him. I never thought about, it wasn't, oh my God, my husband's sick, poor me. It was, what can I do to show this man every day how loved he is? You know, like, and that was the, this, it was tremendously traumatic, painful, all those things. And it was so valuable. And that is something that is worth sacrificing for. That is some, if I get to be that person, and and I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, when I talked about playing it small, where women are taught to play it small, for so much of my life, I've thought, who, who, I wouldn't even say out loud that I wanted to be a writer or that I was a writer. I wouldn't call myself a writer because it just, who am I to think that I can do that? You know, like I was, that's just too big. It's just too much. And then I go, who are the writers I admire? Like Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, like, you know, all these people. And I go, do they really have more life experience than me? that they you know they are just on this magical echelon of or you know this this trajectory of what they're doing with their lives is there any reason that can't be me nope you know like aside again from like the health stuff but I think that you know why I think the health stuff has happened not all of it but some of it I think it's random and shitty but like because in order to find out what was important to me and be able to deliver all this to people I had to lose everything take it all away and if I hadn't lost my career like I said I'd still be there right if I hadn't gotten my physical independence taken away and to a point where like I actually have the time to do these things now I wouldn't I wouldn't do these things you know I had to I had to have everything taken away in order to see what value I brought that was not just what my title was right and why why is it that we feel like I don't know that I feel like I've need to play it small because I'm not built to play it small I never have been you know I mm. I was it's it's the there's just so much more to my story than this and I know that you know like and that's why I try to share the experiences of saying like I've had shame and guilt and feelings of you know insecurity around where I'm at in my life right now and that's why for a while I wasn't writing because I didn't want to tell the truth about what was happening because it was so far outside of what I can control and there's so many judgments on people who have chronic illness and disabilities and things that are not visible because you look at me and you think I'm fine you don't know that like half the time I'm in a room like I said a dark room because I can't even keep my eyes open because I'm in pain and but all of those things like there's just so much more out there. And years ago, in a very deep meditation, I um, I found, I saw, I, I, I'm not going to say it anyway, it's just the truth. I saw a future, right? And I saw it being, I saw myself living by this particular place where I could write, wherever I could do my work wherever I was. I saw myself speaking. I saw myself like touring places. And I shut it down because I was like, that's ridiculous. Like I said, like, who the fuck do you think you are? I know who I am now. And now I can look at that and say that can be real. You know, like, and I didn't know that. I didn't know I was worthy of that until I lost 
everything and went through all of this trauma and really dug into it to try to figure out. I, I believe that God has torn or God, the universe, whatever, has torn me down in order to prepare me for what my actual purpose is. And I had to lose it all so that I could question, does it matter that I have this traditional standard life? Because I'm not going to have it on that road, Mm -hmm. you know? And it doesn't mean I'm not going to find a partner. It doesn't mean I'm not going to whatever. It's like, but my purpose is not, if those things happen as a part of the natural course, cool. Like that, it'd be cool to have somebody to watch, you know, basketball with. Like, you know, that's all I really am interested in among other things. But like, at the end of the day, like I'm called to a different purpose than your average person. And that's why I am not the average person. And that's why it's going to take not the average male. But they're out there just like just like I'm an anomaly. There are men who are anomalies and who can handle who can be strong and handle a, a woman who isn't trying to put them in their place, but wants to say, let me have my voice, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like we could talk for the end well, we of can, forever. And, but, but we better wrap it up. I know. Since this room's getting pretty hot. I know. I'm like, let's for be honest, that don't know, there, there are massive lights on us right now that are just beating on our skin. I'm not sweating and- everywhere. It's fine. I'm not going to stand up from this leather chair and have an entire <laughs> puddle underneath me. Mm-mm. Lisa, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I do all my Twitter is mostly my advocacy work, but both of them are Lisa O'Leary. Uh, you can guess how that's spelled five two four. Um, which, if you're wondering, May twenty fourth was my wedding date. That's where that came from. Um, you can also find me at surrendertolive.com. That's the blog that I've written a little bit in, but it sounds like I'm gonna be doing some more of that shit. And um, and there's also Lisa at surrender to um, You can reach me there if you have questions or, you know, just you see something on my blog or anything you've heard today. You want to talk about more engage, challenge me. I'm obviously up to the challenge. So anytime, you know, but or if I can be of service in some way in the struggle that you're going through, um, you know, I just want to encourage people like doing it alone is not necessary. There are people out there who understand and who know what it feels like to do it alone. And, and you just don't have to. And tell the fucking truth. At the end of the day, be honest about who you are. I may have a lot of faults, but you are never going to get anything but who I am. I will not be fake. And I will not compromise my boundaries like just to make other people happy or comfortable. Zero compromise. Yeah. No, no, I can. Whatever. Another day. Part two. <laughs> Part two. We'll get into that shit. There you have it. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate you being here as always, man. This is a pleasure, the conversation. So thank you. And uh, we'll do it again. Yeah. Sure. Thank you, Justin. Thank you all. If you've if you've made it this far, my God, you're you're amazing. But we do have a lot. They of have because you're say. very interesting and they want to <laughs> listen to your 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 captivating so they've listened i'm sure (laughs) well thank you (laughs) done